Keegan Dillon. Hi, Michael. <laughs> Welcome back to the Thanks. nonprofit podcast. It's been a little while. It has been a little bit. It's been a it's been a minute. Um, where should we kick this off? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there could take a route of disgruntled fitnesser slash coach <laughs> or all of that, or go a totally different route that doesn't have it have to do with any of that shit. You mean remaining positive? Yeah. I got a question for you. Okay. You want to do that one? Yeah, let's do that. What's nonprofit? <laughs> um, uh, what you mean like what is it today? <laughs> today it's um a bunch of people that hurt their legs <laughs> training. That's a good question. I mean, we're constantly but, changing it. You want Well, I was just I mean in the living in Denver now and the mm-hmm going through the concept of trying to maybe open a space at some point and mm-hmm. trying to figure out like what what would it be right like fitness would be involved cuz that's what I do mm-hmm. but then I don't and I don't have plans for knowing what the other things are it's just like it it always seems like there needs to be something else in a fitness facility or where the fitness is driving creation content interaction helping people you know break down walls of vulnerability, struggles, whatever, kind of help find themselves. It doesn't seem like that happens in gyms I've been in um, and trying to find ways to use that to influence others, help others, serve others. It's a, it, For me, it's interesting to think about like how to do that. And I have to assume in some way that was a somewhat of a thought you had when this place started happening. Um, I mean... There's nothing ever that was conscious about it, which is like really humbling in the first place because you're like, we didn't really think that much. I mean, we overthought. Of course. Like you do everything, but we're like overthinking fonts and like, you know, layouts for magazines. We weren't like thinking conceptually. I think the whole time we were kind of like wondering what the fuck we're doing and trying to avoid all the traps that were set before because I think that, you know, the general idea is like, well, you want to start something. How do you make it survive? It has to make money. But if that's the sole goal, it's like really a vapid existence. So that only goes so far. So you want to do something that's interesting to you. So in reality, like I think I've always been just trying to figure out how to like live. Sure. How to like do with experience something. And then like whatever I'm into becomes the uh, lens that I'm trying to do that thing. And so uh, fitness is just a, a pretty easy metaphor medium slash I don't know, allegory. So we, although we were kind of over it at that point, um, it was still kind of the thing that we knew so we could talk about it. And then the, you know, it didn't, it wasn't trying to be a gym, but we rel- realized pretty quickly on that. Like you need to keep practicing something in right. our aspect. It just had happened to be fitness stuff. And you have to keep developing it in order to keep pulling um, insight from it. And there's this weird, um, who said this? Somebody said this. Uh, Oh, I think it was Osho. Uh, Osho was like, you know, 
anything that gives uh, continuous insight is sacred. I like that. Right. So like it's, it's like it's because it's helping develop you. And so in that sense, like our, our practice of certain things becomes sacred. And that's just to mean special. Right. It just there's a line of demarcation that goes around it. It doesn't mean it's like has some divine nature to it. Although like, you know, you get into that realm where you're like, what what practice makes you learn something? And I think that's like the big question we keep raising because you're like, there's a bunch of different stuff you could do that could inform you about yourself. You could, uh, some people get it washing the dishes. You have these like epiphanies of like mundane behavior if you do it long enough. And maybe that's what fitness is. It's just so mundane and so repetitive that you punch through like the epiphany border or something. And that, I think a lot of people have felt that they'll describe it as like a running high or like, sure. you know, or like whatever, or an allegory for sport. Like people compete and they learn so much about themselves and the world that it like gives them a handle on doing other things, whether that's business or raising kids or whatever, it just becomes this kind of a strong metaphor for everything, which sucks because then we're left with like our, like our best, our like most, I don't know, sacred information and quotes from our leaders are like, you know, baseball analogies, which right. seem really fucking stupid. But essentially, that's kind of what we're left with. So like nonprofit, the name is kind of funny because it's like obviously ironic. Um, but um, it, it was just a placeholder. We were trying to be cool, actually. We were like... <laughs> <laughs> we were like, let's call it Defy. Like the business should be called Defy or something like strong. You know, we're like against stuff, um, which described exactly where we were in that moment. We were against everything. Sure. And for whatever reason, I I was like, <laughs> well, we just need a business name. It doesn't matter. It's like we just need an LLC so that we can like get this thing printed because you needed a business license. And that's really what we were doing. We, in order to publish the podcast, you needed like a business license or something. And I was like, it doesn't really matter what it's called. Let's just call it like nonprofit because it's a funny, you know, double entendre. And, and Mark was like, oh, that's funny. We'll change it later. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a similar spot personally now that you guys were in when this place opened with like kind of hating everything. Mm -hmm. I don't really know why I hate everything. And when I say everything, I mean the fitness industry. Mm -hmm. Like something about it feels off to me, but I couldn't like, I don't, I'm having a hard time like articulating what it is. It just feels stale. It feels boring. It doesn't feel useful yet. I love doing it. Mm -hmm. um, like I don't care about, you know, fucking 10 rep max deadlifts or <laughs> fucking 10, 10 minute cows on the assault bike. Like I like those things and I find, I can see utility in them for certain people, but like it's not like getting me out of bed in the morning. It's not like hope one of my athletes gets a three rep max today. I want to be like hope I get to talk to one of my athletes today and see what they're going through and have a conversation with them. Like that gets me out of bed in the morning more so now than physical performative metrics, which I think again useful at times, and I think standards might be good, mm -hmm. but I think having like dogmatic like standardized testing for a gym the way standardized testing for the education system like i don't think it's a useful thing and there's a lot of weird shit in there for me for the fitness industry itself that i'm just kind of turned off by 
I, I think we're in, maybe it's the same, but, um, you become kind of despondent to the industry just because you're like in a cesspool. But I think that's like every industry is like that. I think um, not to be unfair, but I think 90% of what I see in any kind of like, just in general, 90% of what I see in the world is kind of gross. Yeah. Um, It means it's like inorganic, it's unoriginal, it's repetitive, it's sleazy, it... um, it leverages, um, it just leverages everything to the max in order to get one outcome. If I was going to describe it, I think like, I think you would get, no matter what subject you picked in life, this is like, these are turning points where if we picked like, say if we, you know, for whatever reason we picked a different route, it was like finance or something, which a lot of times I wish I did because it's like the goal is more obvious, but I think you run into the same thing. Like, okay, how do I, how do I understand this subject as a whole? You know, so for fitness, you're just like, how do I understand how to get more fit? And depending on your lens, it's like more strong, more endurance, uh, winning stuff, lifting world records, <clears throat> sprinting, like whatever the winning, winning the game, winning the thing, it becomes like, oh, okay, that proves my knowledge. So I'm going to like, I'm just going to, you know, go for quantitative um, uh, progress which is like raise your bench press, raise your th- win the win the win the award, make other people win the award, help other people uh, raise their bench press, <clears throat> and you kind of that's why when people the general person comes to you, you're just like you still are using quantitative things in order to like get them better, and it doesn't dawn on you till later that you were just using that to explore yourself. And if this was the finance market, it would be the same thing. Like okay, like. People won't trust me in the financial district until I make money, right? And in order to make money, I have to understand the fundamentals of how money works. So you understand and use infinite ways you could do it, just like there's infinite ways you could get better or more fit. So you, you know, maybe you get into, uh, you know, trading or maybe you get into crypto or maybe you get into real estate or maybe you get into small businesses, whatever the reason is. It's like, but once you make that money, or once you establish a high amount of fitness or a world record or you win the thing, it's almost like you have this amnesia uh, where you're like, why did I do this? Right? You're like, obviously it's empty. And anybody that like makes this money, if you're, th- if you're using it for the right reasons, you'd recognize it was just a way to explore your ability, whether it's making money or raising a bench press or whatever. It's, it's kind of the same thing. And then once you prove you can do it, you prove yourself useful, and then you're at a dead spot where you kind of see the emptiness of the thing that you're into because it was just a mirage anyway. Like it doesn't really matter. Just, uh, you know, how we talked to Matthew Weatherly White last week, it was kind of like he ran into the same thing where he was like, okay, I'm at this job. I'm making like tons of money. Um, I'm heavily invested into this, whatever this is, and um, I am miserable. Yeah. And he's like, I don't need the money. I know how the money works, but I feel like I'm like pulled into just like being made to do this thing that I'm just over. It's like us continuing to build fitness once we realize that once we have nothing to prove, nothing, no event to show up to, and um, but we still like the idea because it makes us feel rooted in ability 
So we still express the ability just to make ourselves have an identity or whatever. And I think that's really what's happening is like, what am I in this system once I realize that it's all a mirage? Yeah. I guess one thing I've noticed lately is what, for the last 12 years or so, like I haven't been training to be healthy, although I Mm -hmm. thought I was training to be healthy. Um, But I never, like I kind of like skirted around the topic, like, oh, I'm doing paleo now. But I was still like eating it in a way that was trying to help me perform. Mm -hmm. Or then I would try macros or whatever, but it was still all performance-based which I think at some point is unhealthy, mm-hmm. especially done repetitively over long periods of time. I mean, I think there's a reason elite athletes die younger than not elite athletes, but I feel like we still are treating ourselves or athletes like they're athletes and they're not. Well, it's it's bad trickle-down theory. Right. Like it's, um, it's the same reason why people take investment advice from like billionaires, right? But <laughs> billionaires are obviously unhealthy inherently unless they just like like inherited a billion dollars in which case they're unhealthy mentally in other ways uh usually through ineptitude or something but i i think you're right you're like dead on the thing that i think you notice which is everything is bad trickle down for the most part this is why well in one reason why i think um there's not enough criticism of the mindless conditioning of an industry yeah. Right? And this isn't to say that somebody's forcing you to do something. It's like the bad incentives that lead to certain things. In the in the fitness industry, it's like you got to, you know, look a certain way, do a certain thing, and it's all kind of empty. And it's not ever said explicitly, right? No one ever is like, you have to do this. But all of the rewards are usually available to those who, like, fall into certain things. That's just a subconscious... Um, bad incentive to the industry. So you've like, this is where the influencer thing comes into play, which is like to somebody, to somebody who has like first explored their own capability, then explained the ability to like increase other people's capability uh, and done it repeatedly and, and and can kind of do it um, on demand rather they look at the new, the new focus of like, just do the shiny thing and show a, 12 second video and in the first three seconds it has to grab somebody's eye a certain way so usually the camera angle is like at the guy's abs or up the girl's ass or like whatever the thing is that's that's just a trick that they're using to get influence over the masses and then nobody really cares what they teach because they got their attention in the first place how like subconscious do you think those tricks are where like you see it enough on instagram you just start shooting reels or videos in that way because you're like oh fuck they're doing it and they have x number of followers i don't have that many but i'm going to start so you don't even know you're actually doing the thing that you're doing i i didn't realize this until we started like putting videos together and then chris uh warden started like walking me through like actually i know this is like a nightmare but you have to turn the camera it has to be vertical have to do a portrait because of how the algorithms work right like your visual perspective when you're scanning the layout on say something like Instagram is, is a certain way. And so if it's not perspective, the picture is actually too small because you're fitting a landscape picture inside of a portrait frame, which means it shrinks it down. You're, you're missing two thirds of the frame. 
And he's like, the eye can't pick that up. It just looks, you know, kind of indistinguishable. And most people are, are finding the stuff that they don't already know about, not through their normal feed. They're finding it to the suggestions. So if you want to like broaden your audience, you you really have to appeal to what people are browsing, who are doom scrolling essentially. And if you're going to appeal to them, you have to supply um, something that stops somebody's attention in a subconscious non-attentive state and so the (laughs) the rule of thumb goes like how it's framed now and this will change infinitely because they keep they keep switching it uh, probably to keep it fresh but keep people guessing this is like the rules keep changing right just like tax law or corporate law or whatever the rules keep changing and the people who are already on the up and up have like a huge advantage because They've mastered one, they can move on to the next and they don't have to like reteach themselves everything. We're kind of at a loss because we've never paid attention to it. And now we're kind of like, well, we need to kind of like fit the format. We're really like, I guess, changing ourselves, morphing ourselves in order to become more scalable in a sense. And like kind of, it sounds the most disgusting way, but in a the least disgusting way I can tolerate. <laughs> And so this is where like the rule of thumb is like when they play those videos, what I've noticed about it, being conscious of what's going, what catches my attention, um, they replay the first three seconds of a video and that is where you'll grab somebody. So it used to be seven seconds. Now it's three seconds. So you want to what do you mean when you say replay the video? Um, you, when you're scrolling the, um, the like suggestions, yeah, right. They'll have the reels kind of in the corner. Oh, and they're are, already going. That are portrait, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it will go three seconds, and then it'll replay the first three seconds over and over. And so, if it's not interesting in three seconds, nothing. And this is why people will feed. It used to be the the cover picture of the reel would get right. you right, but now that it plays through, that's not enough. You need like three seconds of action. So the video has to start to be interesting in three seconds, which. In my head, I'm like, cool, we're just perpetuating ADHD or whatever the <laughs> disorder is. You're like, no, we're just conditioning people to not be able to pay attention to things unless they like grab your attention. And this is, we've argued this about photography for a long time. It's just like the best photograph, the, a photograph like Tom's up there on the wall or something, that thing would not stand out in Instagram. Like you wouldn't even look twice at that, but it's like a beautiful piece that you like, you see it in real life, and you go, "Whoa, that day is crazy!" And Tom really took the time to get the glassiness of the water and the fog and all of this stuff. But that couldn't hold up against, you know, some girl shaking her ass, and then, or like some guy falling off a skateboard, or you know, uh, a riot video or something. So you're like, "Okay, if I'm going to be relevant in my industry, I'll kind of bring it back to where like the thing is." I just wanted to like go down this loophole that I'm currently pissed at. Uh, If I want to be relevant in like, and you have to be, you have to be relevant. You have to be saying things that actually affects people in good ways. I almost have to sidestep my disgust in order to appeal to the system that I actually think is hurting people. So you become, A, this is the problem when people are like, why don't you get into politics if you're so against it? And you're like, because you just become slime. Like you become... That system changes you. Nobody's strong enough to stand up to the system. And, you know, consciously and arrogantly enough, I'm like, no, I could stand up to the system. I could be different than other Instagram influencers or whatever. <laughs> and you, you can. It's going to fucking alter me somehow. Right. It already kind of is in the way that I'm like looking at how to like 
make my stuff more attention grabbing. And that's like what a fine line between crossing some sort of personal, ethical, moral boundaries and marketing Mm -hmm. kind of mixed together and figuring out how far over this line can I step or do I, or like how do I skirt it and make it organic and unique enough, but also like allow you to sleep at night. Yeah. There's and there's my own like stringent standards of like, you know what I think marketing is. But if I go to like the general idea of marketing and our problem, I'll kind of come back to like, what is nonprofit? One of the problems is we don't know what it is. So you can't, people really like to go, oh, it's that, right? Immediately. This is why people, the space program are like, can I get an example workout? And you're like, "Uh, yeah, but of what? You know, what day? I mean, at that point, you could just write them a workout and be like, this could be a sample. Yeah. And and that would take a lot of work. Um, But if I give them example, what people are looking to do is identify a yes or a no. Right, so like a binary, this is either for me or it's not for me. And like the easiest way possible. Yeah, the most mindless way possible because that's what we've been conditioned to do is make assumptions based off of the least amount of cognitive ability. Right, it's it's why politics works so well because if it's a red idea, it's like this. If it's a blue idea, it's like that. And you're like, if you're if you're into blue ideas. You can identify them. They have flags all around sure. them. In this case, transsectionality flags or whatever. And in the other case, they're like the Confederate flag or whatever. guns. Yeah, it's it's like it's yeah. You just like there's these shortcuts. Like, can you imagine if voting was just based off of names alone? You didn't know what party. Like if it was just their name, it didn't say Democrat or Republican. I've always kind of thought um, job applications should be like that. <laughs> yeah, like no name, no yeah. nothing, just like qualifications, and then you go like, I think this human being works. I don't know anything else about him. Come, come and do an interview. Yeah, they whatever. got really mad at this. There was like, maybe I'm wrong on this study, and I can't remember the specifics, but it makes sense in my head, and I'll use it as like, imagine this is a fictional based off of a thing that really happened but i don't know the specifics so i can't like quote it directly but they did like when they do blind auditions they thought if we do blind auditions this will be the most fair way right you can't like i don't know if it's a female you know i don't know if it's a man i don't know if it's like uh whatever so they do these blind auditions and then they ended up with like an all chinese orchestra because they're 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 just better music and they're like better trained but then they're like oh we can't do that because you know that's not fair it's not diverse enough and you're like jesus christ but i think it's to the same point it's like people need flags planted so that they know what it is and our biggest problem to to get the audience that I think we deserve for the things that we think would help people that we're talking about, we need to appeal to the part of society that we don't like. This is the trap. I can talk to the choir all day, right? Like, it's fun. It makes me feel like I'm understood. But if we're going to actually do something that matters, you actually have to bridge the gap to people who would normally go, ugh. Right. Like training? Why would you do that? Like, why, why would you, you know, any kind of disgust about autonomy or something, um, you need to appeal to that kind of person. And that that's, that's my fascination now. Um, but it's also kind of like my cross to bear because I understood immediately that, 
uh, I could feel good about myself if I just keep doing the same thing because we make enough money. Um, but if I really wanted to like, like affect change and challenge myself, if I want to like reach a new level of ability, I'm going to have to step outside of what I'm comfortable with, which is talking about this kind of stuff to people who aren't attracted to it. Yeah, that you pointed um, kind of like about doing this for yourself. You called me out on a podcast three years ago, the first time I left here. <laughs> um, it was when I was coaching that 6 a.m. class and it kind of went to shit. And I was just like, I'm not doing that anymore. 6 a.m.'s for me. Mm -hmm. And then I left, and on a podcast later, you said, you know, you had spoke to somebody, mm -hmm. and they said that, and it was kind of like, if you don't think you're getting anything out of this, you shouldn't be doing it anymore. I don't remember your exact quote, but it was like referencing the fact that I didn't realize I was also learning from the people that were around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that, like, I've thought about that all the time now. And I do like, I don't ever want to get, and I think this is kind of part of why, like I have a hard time being in gyms as a coach now. It, and when I don't say this, like I'm the best at it, but I've done it, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's outside of new and interesting people, there's nothing doing that specific thing that's going to make me any better for me. Oh, for sure. Right? Here, one of your problems one of your problems to find a solution for rather not like something is wrong sure. but that that's something i'm going to pose is the fact that you are too good for your um reputation right and that's not to say that you have a bad reputation it means you know more than what you've actually done and accomplished and you've accomplished quite a bit yeah i don't have a reputation but you don't have marketing right and th this is your like this is kind of the thing and I, you do have a reputation as in like people that know you know sure. you but there's not this like nobody's seeking me out exactly and, yeah. and that that is where a lot of these that to and i'm only talking because i recognize it myself that's where a lot of the what's the right word for it it's not envy, but it's on that side of the emotional spectrum. When you look at what people do and what they get credit for, you're like disgusted. And it's because you want that for yourself and you're not willing to like put yourself in the weird marketing schemes that allow you the yeah, audience. You're 100% accurate. Yeah. And, and so you're like, when I mean, just take for a second. Can you imagine if I went and like worked at Lifetime as like a gym manager? <laughs> No. <laughs> How about well, what if I wasn't even a gym manager? What if I was just a trainer, right? Do you think I would get along with anything that was happening? No. And I'm like, I would implode because I would have some fucking dork who maybe has like uh, undergraduate in like uh, sports science or something. or He's like, got like a CPT. Yeah, exercise fit. Let's just say he's like very educated, you know, and he's got, you know, kinesiology or physiology or something like that. And he, I don't know, he's managing a lifetime. But let's just say that that's the thing uh, because th that happens all the time. And then I would be like, don't do, like, I'm not doing it that way. And he'd be like, and he would like talk down to me and I'd be like, I'm going to kill you. Like th this is like, this is essentially the position, sadly, this is the position we have put ourselves in by just getting good at a thing through experience as opposed to going through the badly incentivized route of getting authority through accreditation and authority through views and authority uh, based off of like popularity. And so what we're feeling is our own doing. Uh, it, like that's what I've come to realize. Yeah, sadly. I don't disagree with that. 
Uh, I mean, I've had a lot of people try to talk to me about marketing. Few people in Colorado. Chelsea's brought it up. I mean, a lot of people have mentioned it. Every time I just get like this. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't know that marketing's good. It's just it's hard to navigate what doesn't make me feel sick to my stomach. What if I redefined the word marketing to Let's you? Let's do it. Marketing is sharing with the world what you do. I do like that. That's it. That's yeah. all it is in a function. I definitely have this like block where when I hear marketing, I think about reels on Instagram. Yeah. And not that they're not, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the ones you look at and you kind of cringe and Always. then yeah. you're kind of like, oh man, like people are following them for advice and they're just a couple dudes that work out a lot because yep. they have the ability to do that for whatever reason. But it feels so unuseful, which I guess means make it useful. Yeah. Like the way I need to market. Yeah. And this might be the thing. This is the trick. And I got this trick from bad marketing, actually. Bad marketing is manipulation. Sure. It's manipulation of your senses. It's manipulation of your desires. It's um, false advertising, essentially, that is hard to hold up in court. But you you could get the idea. The same thing that like the liver king is going down for. Just going to bring that up. Right. Except he never actually said it. Right, he never was like, "Oh, I you take these liver capsules and I get jacked," but almost, and and everybody that would look at that who's educated about physiology would be like, "That dude's fucking on some shit," and who cared? Nobody cared. Right, nobody. Like I didn't care. I, w- I was like trying to figure out probably what he was on. I was like in my head, I was like, "It's more than just TRT." Like it's like probably Winstrol and some other things. I called a couple of them. You know, I didn't know the degree, and I'm not like super up on the practice, but you could identify some substances that that guy was taking and all the power to him. Because in my head, I don't really give a shit. He's talking about actually good concepts, but what he's doing is the thing that I'm so opposed to, which is he's holding up a flashy thing and talking about good information. And this is what the trap that I don't want to fall into he's becoming a caricature yeah but everything he's saying is actually i mean not everything because that's a generalization he said some dumb shit i'm sure but also man he was really pushing the idea that we need natural foods and clean water and we need good food yeah, sources like the overall premise was fairly good it was all the little weird antics and shit in between you're like eh, you yeah you that. start bench pressing 500 pounds under water just to get somebody to buy your liver tablets i Okay, that's gets a little bit gross for me, but he's now being sued for like twenty million dollars yeah. or something for false advertising. And to go, he never said that this would make you this right. The claim is 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 bad, but people are angry because he lied. And you're like, man, I wish everybody that lied got sued. Like, can you imagine how awesome our world would be if our politicians were held to the same standard as Liver King? Yeah, we wouldn't have any more politicians. Fuck no. Right. But like, it's just acceptable in some industries and not in other industries. The The fitness industry, unfortunately, is plagued with like lying. Like it's built on lying. Yeah, it really is. I was going to say, I think most every tagline or motto or something of a facility, at some point for some person, you can be like, well, that wasn't right. You lied about that. That didn't happen. Yeah. Just based on kind of the nature of people. Man, the Liver King's really divided into two groups, I think. Like, there's the group that's like, yeah, you're definitely taking stuff mm-hmm. and nobody gives a fuck. Yeah. And then there was the, oh my God, you took stuff? Yeah. And you're like, how the. <laughs> I mean, those are the guys that still probably wear like 
live strong arm bands. <laughs> Which is to say they're just naive as fuck. Yeah. Um, I mean, compare that physique to any other physique in the world, and the only comparable physiques are bodybuilders on a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the density. And, and this is like, it's not to, okay, it's not to say you can't do it without, right? Um, where people really mess up what what's going on is like they, they see somebody who has muscles and lean and they go, drugs. Right. And that's the disservice that like, drugs have done to us well that like also alleviates personal responsibility from not looking that way so now take this idea of the naive person looking at something that they thought was a certain way and then they were just like disgusted because they figured out the truth of it and now compare that to your feelings looking at the marketing like it's the same idea Mm. right it's the same naivety it's the same kind of disgust and shock and awe and you are at the point where your emotions are like i want somebody to pay for my emotions that that's how i felt and i'm not saying this is you but that like that's my disgust in marketing and that's my disgust with me recognizing that um and maybe this is the sad like did i just like be disgusted with something and decide to partake in it? Or did I see that something was disgusting and I decided to be a part of how it changes? Yeah. I, I've had the idea in my head bounced around a lot and I I don't generally value myself and my abilities in that high of a regard all that often, which I think is also a problem for trying to market like who the fuck am I to say this thing is this my ego do I really think I'm helping and I mean I have a laundry list of clients that will tell you that I've helped them tremendously Mm -hmm. which is getting me to the point where it's like I think I have important things to say that will resonate with some crowd of people probably not dissimilar from myself in some former fashion Mm -hmm. it's just kind of been hard to get it's been hard to get started especially with I don't I think the way, like, I don't know what nonprofit is. I don't know what the fuck Keegan Dillon is. Mm-hmm. It's a part of my human design if we want to get into the weeds about that stuff. <laughs> like, I just don't know. Like, I wake up tomorrow and I'm like, what? who the fuck am I today? Like, I don't have this, like, strong sense of self to be like, I am this person and do this thing for people. Therefore, I can just, you know, kind of market that way. Well, you just described imposter syndrome, like, to sure. a T. And th- this is like... In fact, I had this conversation. Uh, someone wrote me an email, a fairly accomplished uh, military guy last week, and I'll like try to like surmise it. But essentially, the gist of it was like, man, I've done a lot of shit. Why do I still feel like a fraud? You know? And, and it's like, yeah. And you're like, I don't think that feeling ever goes away, actually. I think that is keeping you on the correct course to some degree. That that feeling of like, because uh, that's, that's your inner voice like humbling yourself right and you're never going to step out of bounds because of that or when you do it would be brought back because that voice kind of beckons and if you don't have that voice well there's the donald trump's of the world sure you know like they're just like they're completely unaware of their misgivings and that allows them certain superpowers um but also you know certain oversights yeah uh and i i think i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing but i think maybe our job if we're going to make this our job our job is to like continually ask that question about like who what is it that i do who is it for and do i still like doing this and if i if i can keep and i've had to i mean 
if you can imagine, it's not like I'm just like, oh, I love fitness. Here I am, fitness guy. Oh, like, <laughs> teaching people how to do push-ups. I just, <laughs> that, has, <laughs> that hasn't really been my experience at the fitness industry. Mine has been one where I'm just continually frustrated, not just with what I see, but with myself being unable to fix anything. To be unable... like. There's that girl where originally we called her butt plug. What's her fucking name? I can't remember. Anybody can look her up. Uh, She's like a. I was just telling somebody about this a couple months ago, and I, I don't remember her name. I only remember her uh, her nomenclature. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she's like a gym shark athlete yeah. or whatever. In fact, she was just on the Buttery Bros thing, and it made me laugh because it did not come off well. But Is that when they like worked out with her. Yeah. 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 That was more more power to him. Like or and her too. Like I don't I don't care. But originally, just watching her operate. Um, in, in to understand, like, cause it's funny, you like see an influencer influencing in the wild and you tend to like, what's going on here? Like what, <laughs> what is the nature of what's happening here? The angles, the like short squatty girl, that's her best friend. That's trying to be like her. That is not like her, um, trying to help her out wearing the same exact outfit yep. matching and just taking all the photos and just taking all the or photos. Videos or yeah, yeah. And it's just like, and, and you're like, obviously it's working cause she's getting paid unreal sums of money for what she's actually providing. But what I was astounded by and and kind of pissed about was the amount of influence she had. And I would say incorrect influence over a population that was seeking answers and that and watching that whole thing happen and watching my frustration um, kind of boil and just get like, but what, of course, you know, like what other way is there? Do you think the demographic she attracts is seeking answers to at least questions you would find intriguing to be asked? No, I I don't even think they're aware of the questions that they should be asking. Right, but that might be the problem. Because I I was just uh, had an analogy for what like that's kind of like the fast food of fitness. Mm-hmm. Do you think like? Redmond sits around and they're like fucking McDonald's making all this goddamn money. And here we are trying to like do it the right way or the Mm -hmm. way we think is right. And, you know, we're surviving, but we're not fucking McDonald's. Right. I think that's true uh, to a certain degree. Um, And that's like the acceptance part is like, well, I don't want to be that thing because that thing is poisonous for people. It's toxic. I don't want to give out kids meals. But how in my second question is like, well, how do we do good in a world where these people are doing bad? You know, like how do you, and that's not to say like fitness is going to say fitness has probably wrecked more lives than it's actually saved. But the lens from which you can learn about yourself through fitness, I think has saved a lot of people. Yeah. Period. Well, that's one of the, my favorite things about this place that I have yet to see in any other place. It's like FYF last night or DFF or whatever mm-hmm. you're calling it when Mark's not here. Mm-hmm. Um, like the thing ends and then the conversation begins. Yes. And there's learning, there's guiding, there's teaching. There's seemingly like on the surface, not terribly important questions asked that actually have a giant layer underneath them that you can dive deep into, such as team training on an assault bike, Mm -hmm. how to transition, how to pay attention to what your teammates are doing. Like all these little things that I think me, you, Aaron, a few other people that come in here just inherently do, Mm -hmm. whether it's through... You know, the way you've trained with other people in the past, maybe me on sports teams growing up as a kid, like there's this inherent like teamwork thing built in that arguably I take for granted because I don't didn't recognize honestly until last night that other people don't get it the way I get it. Yeah. 
Um, and then listening to you talk to Aaron and Rachel about it was pretty fascinating. Like to have them ask questions that like they sound dumb. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like they just seem very like, duh, like you don't know that. But they yeah. also don't know that. For sure. Their, their life experience hasn't allowed them to have this experience that right. makes this like an assumption. In which case, like, yeah, when you're on a little link team and your coach is like, and you're too young to even maybe remember this or that it happens so many times that it's just like gone over your head. You just have absorbed the information. It's like, okay, you're part of a team. You got to pay attention to what's going on. This is not all about you. It's about the effort. It's right. about the thing. And you just kind of absorb that because you've like, that's what I would call true conditioning. Right in in a in a positive way, sure. you've been conditioned to understand how you react on a team. Other people's existence is very like I'm on my own. I got to do this. Okay, I've got to like fitness for myself and got to take care of myself. And I'm the most important thing. Not that it's like that narcissistic, but that's the lens through which most right. People... There's not that other like contrast or whatever of having that involvement in a team or mm-hmm. doing something collectively. Probably athletically. Exactly. And then when I think about it, like think how many other assumptions, you know, that one, that one's a really like niche one, yeah. but it was important because you're like, man, they've never thought about that. Like the the thing that I think I didn't realize um, is like when, when, um, when you're on a team and you're like, we're on a team with better people, right? Let's say we got on a team with like games athletes. We might feel like this same thing to try to keep up or to try to not let them down. That is one of the first things that's really good about working on a team, right? right? Is like this servitude to the cause. And that's like how I feel working with Mark is about like, man, I can't let them down. And even if we do, like we do projects, it's the same thing. It's like, okay, this has to be good. Otherwise, Keegan will think X or Mark will not. And me and Berkey talked about this originally when I asked, hey, Berkey, like, you know, why did you do the capacity manual? And his first thing was like, I wanted Mark to be proud of me. And you're like, that's legit. That was like, fuck, that's my answer too. <laughs> like, I just want people to like respect what I'm doing. So on the team thing to explain to Aaron to watch, uh, I'm giving her instruction while we're doing the effort and, you know, tell him, okay, go here. And then when you fall off, okay, get off. And then like, I'll change the seat. I'll do this on the air bike thing. All of that is like totally mundane information. And then I saw her reaction when I got off and the seat jammed and she goes, oh, sorry, shit, fuck. And she started getting like- Her Tourette's kicked in. Yeah, she started getting like frustrated. And I was like, <laughs> that that doesn't help. Yeah. You know, like, cause I'm not frustrated with her. She's reflecting her own emotions and her own view of herself in real time. Right, and she has like, in her head's probably like, fuck, Michael's mad, Michael's mad, Michael's exactly, mad. Exactly, yeah. Not because you are, no. it's just like, she thinks you will be if- like yeah. it's not perfect in some way she's created in her head. Yeah, there's this idea and that this is I didn't realize this until we've had a couple people around and and I've and I'm guilty of it too, which is why I think it's important is that sometimes the most exhausting uh, the most exhausting emotion about for it is having to reassure somebody that they're okay, that they're not doing anything wrong, right? Because people inherently, when they come around us, they know we pay attention to things. We we know they know like you know we're inherently critical of things that are around us. So their first their first thing is like, oh sorry, oh am I in the way? Sorry, can I borrow? Can I do this? And you're like, listen, if you're in the way, I'll fucking tell you, right? But you're like, is it okay if I do that? Like, you know what is in the way is you asking me constantly if you're okay. That reassurance that is that is the annoying part that makes you a drain. Right. The 
part where you go, I'm good. And if I'm in the way, you just let me know and I will move there. I'm good. You are good. Everything's good. That is a relaxation that everybody feels when a team works well together. And I think everybody has done it, right? Like, because we all have self-confidence issues for the most part. We're not sure of ourselves, which is probably why we got into fitness in the first place. <laughs> right? And and then we worked out in a very small degree where we were certain of ourselves, but that hasn't necessarily like, like imagine, and this would take some like Dunning-Kruger kind of effect. Imagine somebody was like, hey, Michael, can you like, help me drywall my house. And I was like, fuck yeah, I can. I snatched 295 pounds. And they'd be like, okay. So like, yeah, I could carry the drywall up the stairs for you. Or maybe. <laughs> or, yeah, but like, no, I can put stuff overhead fast. Right. So I'm probably really good at drywall. And they'd be like, but have you ever done it? I'm like, no. You know, so, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't happen until I got there that I'd be like, oh shit, I have no idea what I'm doing because none of this stuff translates. Right. That That's, it's not that none of it translates. It's that, when I th and maybe this is the trap by developing a few things in yourself physically, you've recognized how fucking difficult it is to know yourself very well. And that leads to the imposter syndrome. It leads to the self-confidence issue. It leads to, even if I'm good at something, I'm fairly good at certain things. At least, like, and I'll say this as a way of trying to actually work on this in real time. It's like, I'm very good at teaching people things. Not because I know them, but because I'm good at reading what helps them and then changing right. so that they can adapt and they can get the information they need. Um, that doesn't mean I know how to teach a thing. I have to teach it in order to learn how to teach it. So there's like, I, but I understand that process. So when somebody comes in and I'm learning something new, I'm pretty like, hey, these are the things that I know and here's where I'm exploring. And I let them in on where I'm learning too because I think that helps the process. That's why I think I'm better at jujitsu than the average person of my same rank, right? As it is not a physical ability, it is an ability to like teach and learn and share information. And um, where that gets called into question only is when I see other people who have like more influence over an idea than I have. That's where it becomes like, pretty important to change our ideas about ourselves. I think it's what Mark identified at the symposium that you're at when we did the little like, hey, what should I work on? And Mark's like, you need to believe in yourself. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> I do. Right. But I also think he's correct. Like I know what he's talking about. Um, when you step up, when you step up into what I would call your power, right? You're like unstoppable to some degree, but it's temporary. You know, the, the lift only happens for a second and then you're no longer somebody who snatches 295 pounds. That was years ago, actually. <laughs> right? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, to, and to know that, to realize it, to be like, oh, yeah, fuck. If somebody asked me if I could snatch, I'd be like, of course I can. But right now, if I actually thought about it, I'd be like, ooh, I really. Yeah, yeah I can. Just let's not do that today. Yeah, let me warm up for a couple weeks. <laughs> like if I shit. And same thing with like bench pressing. Right. You, know? you could bench press a fucking house. But if somebody was like, you want to have a bench press off? You'd be like, not really. Like, yeah, like that part of my life ended eight years ago. Right. And this is what leads to that feeling of insecurity because all of these accomplishments are temporary, but we're, we're like pulling confidence from that false confidence. Like I, okay. I can't, I can snatch maybe two fifty today. Maybe, maybe 
Actually, I don't know. If I, maybe it's like depends on, with my legs right now. Nothing. Yeah, I yeah. Can't or your grip from yesterday. <laughs> yeah, dead. Fuck. I'm so one eighty five. Yeah, <laughs> not bad. Oh, well, I'm a half a hundred pound, hundred ten pounds. It's not a big deal. Um, but you're that, still crushing sixty percent. But I find when people don't ask those questions, you have ineptitude. You have like you have somebody you can't trust, right? That are just like they're their image is based off of things that they haven't done since they've done them. Right. Um, and that's not to say they're not capable of something, but it's, these are like bad, these are bad markers or like a, do you think there's a thing with like attaching your identity to something you're going to do? <laughs> that's the, um, what do we, what do we call that? That's the, uh, fucking optimistic extrapolation. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's getting on the air bike for like thirty seconds and be like, I can hold seven hundred watts. I'll try it for ten minutes, and you're like, cool. <laughs> when the curtain unrolls on that, it's real fun. Yeah, but even like the because I think I did it a bit with the assault bike, where I like, I don't know the right way to say this. It doesn't make me sound like an asshole, but um, like I think I thought I was something else because I thought I could get close to doing a number that nobody's ever done. And I just like had this ego driven sort of approach to like, I need to do this to prove something to other people. Mm -hmm. Arguably, you and Mark were the other people. Uh, <laughs> um, which I also know isn't what either of you give a shit about, but there was something about that that seemed very important to me until I realized it wasn't fucking important at all because it wasn't actually doing anything for me. Um, I think it was important. Like I like I would say you like think about how much you learned, but I learned a bunch from you doing it. Mostly because I've taught myself to be able to learn from other people, which is actually rare. Usually, you know, you have to learn the hard way. You have to sure. burn the hand a little bit. But I think I've burned my hand. I've gotten close enough to the stove and understood that it's like getting uncomfortable and been like, okay, that's danger. And then watching you just put your hand on it and I go, yep, that sucks. And then you couldn't use your hand for six months or right. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that's important. It was a very good lesson once mm -hmm. it, everything came full circle, but the initial kind of reasoning for it, it's, it was a really interesting journey the last like two years going mm -hmm. through that and a lot of other things to kind of come out the other side of it. And I think maybe finally realize like what things are actually important to me. So what I would like, I've got a question for you. <laughs> What's important to you? Honestly, like at this point, if I'm not speaking specifically professional life and coaching, which I also have a hard time calling coaching professional because I feel like it's just a part of me. Mm -hmm. Like I enjoy doing it so much. Like it doesn't feel like work. It mm -hmm. doesn't feel like I've found my profession, like arguably my calling maybe mm -hmm. or what I'm supposed to do. But fucking human connection is what lights me up right now more than anything. Um, is, is that because it's scarce? Uh, yes. I think I realized how scarce it is. Mm. So one thing um, that in the last like two years have shown me is what it actually looks like for people to love me. Where like I think I had this weird like movie romanticized version of a partner, a friend, a best friend, a father, whatever that's 
almost like this weird, I don't want to say hero's journey, but just like the romanticized idea of love. And mm-hmm. like it's it's all good and it's all happy and everything's great. And without the understanding that there can be hardship, disagreement, arguments, um, you know, whatever you might consider quote unquote bad. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't remove the love. Uh, do you know this is kind of a weird thought? Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I get the well. I have two two aspects on this that like each virtue. Well, it, almost everything that is a an emotional feeling quality is a virtue, and those virtues have positive and negative effects. Like there is such thing as toxic love, sure, right? And there is such a thing as like positive violence. You know, like there's there's. And it's really hard to fathom because, again, we like to, it's either good or bad. And when we think about love, we think about, like, oh, somebody's just, like, adoring me. And they, they think that I'm the, like, they don't have, they they respect me. They, they want to be with me. They want to be close. It's an attractive quality. Right. But in reality, I think love is based off of largely, l- largely interconnective love is based off of the fact that it's fear. Yeah, like, I'm. I'm gonna lose this person. I'm gonna lose this thing, and therefore I'm clinging to them. That's the toxic quality of right. love. But those are also the things that sometimes enter into it. When in reality, like love as a a feeling. I mean, the, like the Greeks, there's like what nine different types of love just yeah. in Greek. But so this it's kind of generic to say this. But when you just imagine, my second point is that love is an entity, and it enters into you. And it manipulates you and then it leaves you sometimes and then anger comes in and that leaves and then fear comes like all of these are energetic qualities that exist and you allow them to they're not nouns, but they are like processes that you kind of deal with. And that, that's just like maybe that's like too digressed into some weird thing, but it helped me understand that like seeking those out is not good. Like, what do you mean? Seeking out love, seeking out. Oh, sure. Right, like that. That is unhelpful. I, I think that's what I was doing for a uh, while. Okay. Um, and what I mean now, in whatever, I don't know if you remember exactly what you said at the symposium. Um, you know, Mark said something to you. You mm-hmm. said something to me about like my love was misdirected, or something along those lines. I can't remember how I put it, but I, I know what you're. Yeah, what, and I think it was. It, I mean, I definitely know it was true in the sense of it's like I missed the boat on the people that did love me, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. I mean, it might feel like that. This is like, this is the profound thing. That This is the other thing that is like, it's hard to deal with because there's experience and expertise in a subject matter and in a field. But it, then there's expertise in life. Right, like there's, there's the you know we would call it well I would call it classical experience as opposed to like classic education, which means you are uh, very familiar with um, the happenings of life. So there's experts in their field that have absolutely amateur experience in life. Sure, and I think it it doesn't translate right. I think Mark's superpower was he was an expert in life before he became an expert in any field. Right. And that's why he was able to bridge that gap. And I think the reason why I felt so fucked up for so long was because I was the opposite. 
I had expertise, knowledge, and subject, but not enough life experience to to understand and apply it in the right way. And you might be the opposite of me. You might be like, Mark, your first life experiences gave you a depth, and I think part of the part of the problem is you didn't use them for that. Right. Right. Like you didn't tap into the power of grief or the power of uh death or oh, no, I, loss. I, I locked that shit in the box and right. stuffed it as deep down as I could go. <laughs> and now in the last five years it it's coming out in weird fucking ways. Uh, yeah. I, I think I was afraid of love mm-hmm. because I mean those experiences kind of showed me like it's here, goodbye. Yeah, in a very traumatic, like actually not coming back from specific people kind of way, mm-hmm. and I was too young to grasp sort of the notion of, and I don't want to sound like some cliche cliche thing, but like appreciating the time I had with those people oh. for the time that I had it. I mean, it's a cliche for a reason. Yeah, it's because it is ultimately the most real feeling you have, and and this has to do with like, I, I suppose if we bring it back to. Because this sounds esoteric, but it's actually not. Your brain is searching for certain things. And when someone dies, apparently, this is what I've learned in the past year, your brain, like for the people that matter to you most, you have algorithms going off on your time to contact, right? Because they're important in your life. Like, you know, your lifelines, you know how far they are from you both like how to reach them and how far it would be to physically be in contact with them. So like if I were to fly and like go to California, right? And Aaron stayed here, she would have an idea in her head. If the worst thing happened, I would be about four hours away because it would be book a plane flight, you know, sit in whatever. And then I could be here. That would be like the fastest I could be. That allows some kind of comfort that allows for like a cool. Everything's fine. Well, when somebody goes away and dies, they you can't you can't fix that algorithm. Right, like there's a void there now. Yeah, now and now you keep and this is what this is this is the best kind of explanation for grief that I've had is that it's a longing. You're longing to reach out for something and you miss it. And that when it drops, your heart falls out because you can't redo the algorithm immediately. You're like, wait, they're not there, then where are they? But you still have all the feelings associated with that distance. And so that's where the fall comes. The like ultimate pit in your stomach is like, oh yeah, this person, I appreciate that I have these feelings and then I reach for them. And maybe even if they're on the East Coast, you can't place them there because they're not there. And then your mind has to like, part of getting, you know, processing grief is re- you know, kind of redistributing their distance, putting them someplace that's really helpful. And if for no other reason, if I put like London in a place where uh, I can like reach her, even if it's like metaphysically, right? man, that alleviates a lot of pain. And now you're like, okay, understand the reason for religious dogma sometimes. Is that why people kind of find catharsis in like going to a cemetery and visiting? I would think so, yeah. A loved one? You want to hear something crazy? Yeah. I've never once visited my brother's like burial site or whatever. He was cremated, so I don't remember yeah. what it's called, mausoleum. Yeah. I've been there twice for other funerals, but I've never actively gone and just like done anything there. I mean And it's been twenty years. Thirty nine oh, yeah, twenty twenty three years. Yeah. Do do you think that's like consciously? Like it's like that? I think it was when I was younger it was a definitive choice of like yeah. I don't want to do that. 
And I think I had at the time like good reasons. Yeah. Like I'm not religious. I don't need to do it there. But that also meant like at some point I just kind of like stopped thinking about him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That, that, this is, I mean, we talked about this a little bit and maybe this is like, it just dawned on me when thinking about society in general, when, when somebody's like, um, <laughs> you know, we get these like society, cultural, like cultural conditionings that right now we're really like working through the patriarch or whatever. And you're like, like almost everything starts as a recommendation for protective reasons. Yeah. Right. That, that is the nature of it. Like it's not that being a prostitute is negative. It's not bad. It's just that it more than likely has bad outcomes, right? That you're not going to fare well, right. like especially before birth control, especially before there was any kind of safety or, you know, any, any, any checks and balances that that is all, that's all it is. It's just a, Hey guys, let's like, just not make this a normal behavior because people fall into bad circumstances. The same reason to kind of like, now I, th I think there's nefarious reasons to ban all drugs, um, but most of it was fear and seeing bad outcomes. Not from not from some drugs, but we just kind of batch them all together right. and said, no drugs, no sex, no, and that's where we find these things. And so we go, it's a protective mechanism, but when you don't understand the why it's protective, it becomes repressive. And the repressive starts to fester all of the things that urge to do things or even just the urge to be disobedient. So it pushes people in one direction or the other. Like the same, like if you make everything available and everything's okay and it doesn't really matter, yeah, some people will fall through the trap door. But if we're very honest about, you know, hey, like imagine, like imagine having a daughter that was turning like 20 or something. And you're like, I want to be an escort. <laughs> like, what do you say to that person right. that you want to protect? You'd be like, it's not a good idea. Even if you were totally open sexually and you thought like, hey, like a more power to you. Like, I really want you to learn your own lessons. I just want you to be safe. But you like inherently know that risky behavior that is mm -hmm. from like the people you're going to encounter while you do it. Exactly. And you're putting yourself in a world that is kind of underneath another world. And so it's in the shadows, which means... Um, you're you're finding other people that have repressive issues right and that's really what's going on because if it's an exchange like and, and there's been examples of this like high-end escorts talking about you know being in the higher echelons of society and very controlling their johns or whatever talking about them like 99.9 percent .9 positive experience and career and they made hundreds of not millions of dollars doing this thing and mostly what they did was just be intimate with another human being they did, there was no actual sexual activity in most of these encounters because they understood that humans just want connection and you're like yeah but that's like the rare right because people at the top top probably have a hard time finding that exactly or don't have time for yeah. it or whatever it is and then they can just pay for it get the feelings and emotions and things they want and then yeah go back to whatever Whatever they're doing. Yeah, so you have this like, okay, so most of these things that come up are protective in nature, but you eventually have to deal with them, mm. right? Like the real thing is like, the real question, the real thing isn't giving your daughter advice on why not to be a prostitute. It's asking questions as where those, where's that drive coming from? Right. Like, what's your interest in it? And then can you like redirect that interest in a safer way? And I think the same thing for dealing with grief, funny enough, is like the first mechanism is to not think about it. 
is to get as far away from like the concept of death and loss and loneliness and all of that stuff. And that is a your brain protecting you from sure. the initial shock. And it's waiting till you can maybe, maybe it's waiting till your brain can make a, uh, a, a better estimate of where that person is in the world before they start redistributing like, okay, now we have to feel process these feelings a little bit at a time. And obviously our society is not good at doing this in traditional societies, i.e. not ours, you would see a very clear death path. Yeah. There's like tradition and ceremony yeah. around it. That's a lot different than the way our tradition and ceremony do it. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. This is the time to let uh, the, you know, the wailing out. And then this is the time to go into solitude. And this is the time that you spend in reflection. And then this is the time that you come back and you close the circle and you appreciate and honor um, the person that was in your life. And you're like, when you have these things, it's not like, it looks dogmatic because it's most of the time religious. But when you have these features in place, it gives somebody a known road to walk, which is a protective mechanism so that they don't fall into the trap of repression. Because repression in anything festers. And so, uh, when uh, you know, looking at it, like how many people are affected, like how many people's normal lives are affected by what you just described? Like to a large degree. Probably quite a bit. Is that where you're going with that or not? I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't either. I, when I look at it, when I look at it and I like what people describe as trauma, sometimes I'm like, that's a little bit, you know, that's a, that's a liberal use of that word. <laughs> to say the sense, especially having to experience, you know, real trauma, like, you know, uh, medically discharged from the military through a very bad accident, almost died on the operating table, lost mother, brother, you know, like these are extremely traumatic forging experiences in your life. And although your dad is really good, like he's, uh, he was there for me, so right. I can only imagine that he was a strong feature. But it takes more than one person. Yeah, right. It takes, it takes, it takes like a it fucking sucks, but it takes a community. Yeah, you yeah. know where I'm going. It takes a village. It takes a village. It really. It <laughs> we does. don't use the c word anymore. <laughs> I like that. It takes a village baker. I just need a cake, and I'll be fine. <laughs> Uh, I think a big component of that is the person, and I mean, obviously, like a lot of the stuff me and my father went through together. Mm -hmm. And based on life experience and everything, I'm my assumption is he knew how to handle that better than I did, especially being a child. You know, it is a, it is an That's assumption, a huge assumption. Yeah, actually. well, especially not understanding what it's like for a father to lose a son. Yeah, um, but I do think in that whole village equation, like the village idiot that everybody's trying to help, also has to be in a place that's accepting mm -hmm. and ready for that help. Yeah, to face whatever, uncover whatever you need to do to kind of unpack all of that. And I th and, and yeah, I think it's a constant reminder, right? I think that's one of the reasons why I might feel like I'm in an okay place, and you never know when it's going to shift because right. it does shift. But I feel like Aaron is actually in a good place too, and it's because we checked each other like almost every day. Right. And it wasn't it wasn't like a hurry, let's get through this thing. It was just a an appreciation of like, where are you at today? I'm like, yeah, this is how I feel. Like this is where it hit. Or you're driving to the car and you're like, I just looked in the rear view mirror and I can't breathe. And you're like, you know, you're like there's these features that come up and it's just taking a moment to appreciate the process. And then I think obviously we had each other, so that really 
obviously is influential and we're going you know she's going through a more extreme version of what i'm going through um but you know to to kind of put it in perspective that dealing with that illuminated immediately what i don't have time to do i don't have time to like sit in this like poor me attitude sure that is like the one thing the one true thing is just like well like we got no time to waste and that's not like i'm a busybody and i'm waking up at 4 30 to get my fucking runs in uh-huh. like that it's like uh i'm not gonna waste time on shit that doesn't matter but for whatever reason, this fitness problem matters. Like it's an important thing. Do you think it's a fitness problem or do you think it's a people problem is the wrong way to say it. But I think we both view fitness as a very human experience for ourselves and for others and recognize the power of the interaction of all of that. Where I think a lot of coaches, instructors, trainers, like it's a, it's like a load problem or a distance mm-hmm. problem or something less than human problem. I I mean by by fitness I specifically mean an ability to live problem. Oh, like an uh, sorry. Thought, <laughs> yeah. No, 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 but I'm that, back on the industry, sorry. No, but I think that uh, so uh, the fair enough that's that's where most people would go there with that, but I'm arrogant enough to think that my language is more important than cultural norm. So when I say fitness now, I say like it is the ability to live, to like it's yeah, the ability yeah. to keep going. It's to, it's a survival trait in my head, and maybe that has to do with doing push-ups because there's a physical component to it. But the the concept behind f- fitness is just having the um, having the qualities that are required in the next iteration of your life. Right, uh, that's a good way to put that. I guess <laughs> it's like, it makes it makes sense to me because I think I'm on a similar path of like I want to like I consciously want to be healthy Mm -hmm. and I consciously want to do my best so that when I do get old enough that like maybe the gym thing or whatever exercising thing isn't what it used to be I'm not like fucking laid up in bed and can't do whatever I can do at that age yeah at least uh (laughs) yeah like this uh I don't know but just by in bedroom by circumstance, right? And my and actually my own doing. Yeah. So a good example. He'll never listen to this, so I can make fun of my grandfather. I don't think I've <laughs> talked about this before. Um, he's a bigger guy. He's probably six feet, six foot one. Shocking. Um, in your family stock, weird. He's no. the only other one over six feet that I'm aware of. Oh, really? Yeah. Besides, I have a cousin that's like six three, but like a third or second cousin. You're like the lonely giant. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say the milkman thing, but if my dad hears this, he gets real fucking mad when I say that. Um, well, he wouldn't mind a milkmaid. That's at this point, he'd fucking love it. <laughs> um, so my grandfather, like when I was, I don't know, maybe ten or twelve. He, my grandfather's ninety-four now, still alive. Oh, shit, um, body's failing, brain is fucking phenomenal. Um, which I think is a frustrating place to be, and it's something that I kind of see, and it like scares the shit out of me. Because mm-hmm. to be cognitively there, mm-hmm. and then just be in a chair, and, and whatever. But so he um, he found swimming later in life after he had retired at a YMCA. He ended up being like a, some sort of water aerobics instructor. Oh no, shit! From honestly, I I don't know, twenty years maybe yeah. something like that. And he loved it. Mm-hmm. It's all he fucking talked about. 
It's he did it like three times a week. Best thing in the world. Healthiest activity you can do. And I'm fairly certain he's almost unambulatory now because of that. Because he never did weight training. Oh he, yeah, it's all non-resistance. Yeah. Right. He's you know he's in a pool supported by water or floaties or other things. And I think for cardiovascular health, it probably did wonders for him. But bone density. But for the ability to like stand up from a chair, he can't. Or if he can, it requires help from another person or, you know, any misstep at this point. And I mean, granted, at this point, he's 94. So, you know, any misstep for anybody at that age is, you know, could be detrimental. But like watching him move, you're just like, fuck, like I don't. And he's been like that now for twelve or fifteen years. Oh, really? Um, it you know each year it gets a little worse, a little more unstable. But there was definitely a point where like we had a couch, um, and this is my mom was still alive. I was living at home. So this is you know late two thousand eight nine. Yeah, there was just like a little lower to the ground, probably like one of these chairs. And yeah. if he sat in it, and again this was fifteen, maybe even twenty years ago, like you had to help him up. Yeah. Because it was just like his center of gravity was too far back into the couch for him to yeah. find any sort of strength, momentum, combination of the two to stand up. And seeing that, I'm just like, I don't I don't want to be that person. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because my grandma, speaking like this kind of similar scenario, like she's tough as nails. Yeah. So she just turned 90. Um, and I mean, up until maybe like, Two years ago, she was like dragging fifty pound bags of soil. Oh, I remember you telling me that she loves gardening. Yeah, and... she was just like tough as nails. And then about a year and a half ago, she had a stroke, and it's like the lights went off and yeah. her body shifted. And now, I man, she's falling a lot. The really interesting thing is like, you know, her her body is. But I think it's her. Like, if I could identify, it's her will, right? Like, there is nothing to look forward to. Right. And I've, I've had this conversation with her about like. You know, when she was recovering from the stroke, I would go do these, like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. So, like, it, don't, it doesn't sound like, a, like I'm helping my grandma. I'm just, like, bringing her brain games because I thought, like, if yeah, we yeah. turn on. You're, you're doing the best you can to be helpful. Yeah, it's just, like, if you get her to, like, tactile and talk and do whatever stuff, then maybe she'll come back. And one of the things that I was, like, talking to her about, I was, like, you're like, what are you looking forward to? You know, like. That is the reason to like do your, you know, her for her for her. It was like her, uh, whatever you call her, her stroller squats, where she like sits up and sits down from it, which is like a very hard exercise yeah, yeah. if you're, you know, especially with a stroke or whatever. And she was literally couldn't find anything. You know, she had this dream a couple of years ago where she wanted she she's never left the country, to my knowledge, she's never been outside the United States. And she's oh, our family is like deeply into like we're deeply Norwegian, and so she's always wanted to go to the hometown where her I want to say her father was born Stravanger, I think it was her father. Um, uh, Stravanger is like this beautiful city, like little town. It's like it's like picturesque. She always wanted to go there, and like a couple years ago, she was gonna make the trek, and then she got scared because she's like I'm old, I can't travel, and so she like canceled it. And I think after that, she couldn't find anything to sure. do. And so, like, to back up your point about I, there's there's mechanisms here where you're like, the will can carry you a really far ways, but once that goes, the physiology can't even respond to it. So I'm seeing kind of the opposite thing where her body is totally capable of adapting. I know because I went, she was having a hard time breathing. 
And so I went and did like, this sounds really funny, but I did like a little breath workshop for her and I did a little sound bath and like played some music for her and she had never done, she's literally never done anything like that. She's never, I was explaining like how to take a deep breath and like I was physically watching her unable to use her diaphragm. So it's all up in her lungs. And I was like, you know, trying to get her to breathe deeper and deeper and giving her some drills. And after about 30 deep, quote unquote, deeper breaths, it was still not full breaths. Her like eyes brightened and her like brain came back online and she started moving better. And she was like, she legitimately was like, man, I'm 90 years old. She's like, I guess I just never learned how to breathe. (laughs) And I was like, no shit. That is real. Like that's a real thing. Um, But whether she does it or not will only be based off of the fact of how long she wants to be here. Right. Her, her husband died years ago, like her grandfather and it was terrible. She had to take care of him for 16 years with ALS. That kind of drains people of all hope. Yeah. So maybe the way to like merge these, like the lessons that I think we're both seeing in older populations, maybe it's our grandfather or grandmothers or just our parents is like your dad's fairly active, like, uh, but he had a scare. And I think that was like a, Oh shit. Yeah. All of these moments are moments to take inventory and then redistribute your effort towards what actually matters. I think a lot of it boils down to purpose. Mm -hmm. And if you have the perception of having one, Mm -hmm. Um, because my grandfather, similar to your grandmother, uh, my grandfather on my mom's side, he died, I don't know, eight years ago now. He was 94 when he died. He Every single day, he took my grandmother to dialysis for 14 or 16 fucking years. Same routine, get up in the morning, go get the paper, come home, get her ready, bring her to dialysis, sit at dialysis, make friends, joke with people, play cards, play games, go get people things. And then once my grandmother died, it was like all of his life's purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I'm sure he was utterly exhausted. Yeah. And then like that first breath of like, I can relax was also probably the first one towards, I'm not going to be here that much longer. Yeah. I, and th- this is like, so like what a you know 20, 20 year old Michael would be like whatever like you don't know what you're talking about it's all about drifting cars <laughs> and that was your purpose right for a bit but I think this is the this is the point where I'm at now is like are you arrogant enough to have a grand purpose that could carry you through some of the life's worst circumstances and if you don't your job is to find that purpose yeah and you should make it as big as you possibly can because the bigger the purpose the more unlikely that you'll ever achieve it which means there'll never be a stopping point and that is like a key i know that sounds miserable for some people not being able to fulfill their purpose but it almost has to be that you're playing a game because if i you know for me that and that's like Maybe where what is coming online for me only in the past like couple years was like, oh, we appeal to like this, you know, demographic that's into autonomy and they like, you know, Derek described it as like, what? There's a mixture of people at, at, um, at, at this gym. He's like, what is the thing that brings all the people together? And he's like, uh, pro 2A and pro uh choice like what <laughs> you know it's like it's like yeah it's that broad yeah but there is something weird here where we have like we appeal to a certain kind of person right off the bat they hear what we say speak in the language they buy poison they quote it we repost it it just becomes this kind of like kind of 
toxic thing where you're like, all the, this is the same message going around. And only in the last couple of years have I gone, well, if we're good, why don't we step out? Like if we're re- if we really believe, if I really believe that what I'm doing is good, why don't I try, try to change an industry? Right. Why don't I look at the industry like, fuck this. Nobody consciously built this thing. It's like it is a byproduct of insecure people, not self-generators, selling fucking snake oil and trying to make as much money as possible as opposed to make as much uh, like as good of results as possible, which is they might be the same thing. They're just crossed a little bit. Right. Right. Because what would happen? Like, look at Ozempic. They're going to make a billion dollars this year is the biggest drug that ever. And it's a side effect of what it's actually used to treat people for. What if we could just have that? Pra- and we're talking, we're not talking about like, th- this is not insane. We're talking about the average person losing 10 to 15 pounds. This is making a billion dollars. Why don't people fucking wake up and be like, you can do it without it. In fact, it's better without it because then it lasts. Right. Because you're changing habits, creating new patterns. And once you start doing that, who the fuck knows what else is out there? But uh, if you're just yeah. going to sit on your couch and put Ozempic into your, I'm assuming it's a sub-Q shot or yeah. a pill yeah. or whatever, mm. nothing changes. So the weight yeah. you're going to lose, what good is it? Because what are you going to do? Well, usually you're using muscle mass. So by the time you're <laughs> your grandpa's age, you're just going to fall and break your hip or right. whatever. Because you you it will deteriorate your body. But it, it, that I'm conceited enough to look at something like that and go, fuck the pharmaceutical company. Like, I think we can do better. Like, I think, are we going to do it in my lifetime? Hopefully not, because then I won't have a fucking purpose. But that's the kind of thing that I'm looking at. And then it goes, I think, bigger. And this sounds, people will laugh at this because I think, it's only recently come up where I, I honestly think through like nutrition and self-actualization through like physical and psychological hardship, can you recognize that if you can heal yourself, the the world is in a shitty place. Mm-hmm. And then you, because- Is that because you, you're not in a shitty state? Exactly. Like my shitty attitude doesn't spread because I have a different energy to me. I feel good, so I'm not desperate. I'm not like lashing out and doing all of this weird stuff because my system is working correctly and it's thriving. Like I feel good in the sun. I don't need to tell somebody to wear a mask because I trust in my immune system. I don't need to yell at somebody that they have to be vegan because I know that's, A, it doesn't help anything. You know, like I don't have to yell at somebody to eat meat either because I know that they should figure it out on their own. That's the most important thing that they can do. The the biggest part that I feel like is missed is the empowerment of that feeling. Mm. And it's not like you're above anything. It's just you knowing you're taking care of yourself. And that doesn't mean that there's not the chance of some catastrophe happening or traumatic event or, you know, some disease, but like knowing, I think that you're doing the best you can to be as healthy as you can. Mm-hmm. That and fitness gets turned into you have abs, like fuck mm-hmm. you. Like it's not about the fucking abs. Mm-hmm. It's about like the healthy practices leading to like waking up every day, wanting to be alive, mm-hmm. feeling like you have a purpose, doing something with that purpose. And now thanks to you and fucking Mark creating something, because <laughs> that's all I can fucking think about. I, I think, yeah, I think like, I think if you wake up every day and realize that you can be devastated by like circumstances that it that that's helpful. Yeah. That you can go, man, if you can count on your hands all the things that you could lose and it would just devastate you, um then you've got the 
you've got the right starting point. And it might make all the little inconveniences throughout the day really not seem that big of an inconvenience. For like, sure. You know, we're all going to get road rage here or there or get yeah. fucking annoyed at a traffic light For or sure. stand in a line at a coffee shop. But at the end of the day, like, none of it matters. Fuck it. Yeah. Like, like I, you know, it's fascinating for me to watch the LGB community separate from the TQAI uh, uh, community, but it's also, that's not my deal. Right. It's somebody else's purpose. Like, it's somebody else's drive to take on that banner. That's their life purpose. And that hopefully that allows them to live a long time to fulfill that. Um, but it's real easy to get pulled into other people's purposes because that's the nefarious way that it goes. And I, I could say I could easily become guilty of the same thing, but that's the badly incentivized industrial complex, which is like getting people into your purpose just so it helps you, right? That go fight this war. Why? Well, they're evil brown people. And you're like, yeah, that doesn't do it for me. I need a better reason. And you're like, Oil's cheaper. Okay, let's do like, yeah. you know, whatever the thing is. At least be honest. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> fair. And I think the the fitness industry could do the same thing. Let's make everybody healthy. And then we're suddenly clapping people into aerobic classes. That's not what I'm talking about. It's kind of like a um, we're going to say enough things and get weird enough that people might resonate with it who might not normally resonate with that stuff. So yeah, we're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about um, food supply. We're going to talk about corruption. We're going to talk about all of these things because inherently it comes back to my thing that I think is purposeful, which is like getting people to understand their own selves so they can improve it and have a better life experience. Right, which fitness is a part of, but you can't just pull it out and be like, all right, if you can run a 10K and bench press this much yeah. and have this much as a deadlift, therefore you're self-actualized. Yeah. Yeah. There is no equation like that. Right. In fact, it's probably the opposite, right? Because if you go down this thing of like, it's the same thing with like trying to become enlightened. It's never going to happen. It'll take you longer, right? The When you let go, that is that surrender is the enlightenment. That's the realization that everything is fine. And just like fitness stuff, like you got to try hard. I got to count. I got to like... The only reason we're doing it is because it allows you to understand how your own brain works. Right. And that's it. Like whether and, you and like fit or not. learn your body and uh-huh. what it what it's useful for, what it's capable of doing. Because I really don't think a lot of people even understand that. Yeah. No. They, and then maybe that's where hopefully we could be helpful. And this becomes the interesting part for me is like I can't do it alone, which is the really shitty part after you – recognize your own power you recognize you are powerless without other people amplifying you and this becomes the reason to come back to marketing to in marketing in the in the definition of people need to know what we're doing and what it can do for them yeah. that's it and by that alone like okay so maybe i do need to figure out the first 3 seconds of this fucking video so somebody becomes open to the idea of transformation right they like Whatever that be in my head, it goes like they see some stupid hijinks in the gym that's going on. That looks funny. And then they click on it. And then the music that's playing and the words that are being said and the message that's being revealed and the feelings that they feel from that revealing go like, what the fuck is this? And that's all I'm looking for is just like a question. Yeah. What is this? And maybe they'll look into it. You know, if they do awesome, hopefully what they read does it. Maybe it turns them off. Maybe they're like, super closed off and they read an article and they think that we're Nazis or something or like, which is also fine, which is totally it can't fine. be for everybody. No. 
Um, but you're just looking for that thing. And that's, that's what's, that's what to come back around. That's what's like taken away my disgust of what people are using to manipulate people in a bad way. Cause I think we can manipulate them into a good way. Right. Um, that, that's one of the reasons like we're fairly open about this. Uh, I don't, maybe we haven't talked about this. We like purchased, um, for the space program. We had a friend of a friend who knew Aaron. Uh, it was like a kind of a CrossFit site and they wanted to get out of it. They were like tired of it and they had a bunch of followers and they asked Aaron if she wanted to buy it. And she's like, no, I already have a site. Do you guys want to buy it? And I was like, hold on a second. If it has a lot of viewership, that's like a giant audience like that's advertising right it's like getting a good spot on a tv show at 5 30 yeah. in the afternoon and you're like why don't everybody's we, home from work yeah why don't we try to make this happen and so we like looked into it we talked to chris about how to do it and it's like really tricky about how you have to convert these things but we did it and you're like the hope isn't that like we become popular right right it's the, just reach exactly the hope is that people that might not normally see the stuff, maybe the people that were into some like CrossFit garbage that didn't know anything else existed, maybe they see it and then they try to change from it. Like that, that is the genuine feeling behind trying to like do some marketing to make nonprofit at least more well-known. Yeah. Uh, isn't for our own benefit other than we'll benefit from it. Cause I think they go hand in hand, but it's legitimately so that I can feel like my purpose is actually being fulfilled. Yeah. And when I was maybe where you were, none of that higher stuff existed, right? It was all about, it, sadly, it was about like, okay, how can I get through this week? Okay, how can I like, how can I like write a program? And it, it just, it was the same, I'm doing the same work. There was just no purpose behind it. There was just like, I'm existing, I have enough money to pay for my bills or maybe close enough to get away with it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I feel smart. Like, I feel like, you know, if somebody were to talk to me, they'd be like, yeah, he's good as a job. And that was good enough. And that was probably good enough up until like 2016. <clears throat> and then it was like, no, this isn't good enough. Yeah. I'm on that right now. I think like almost being content for a little while and then just waking up one day and be like, what, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Like go do more. That, that, well, you can. I think I had the same thing. Like, I was pretty complacent, to be honest. Yeah. And I think I, I was just lucky enough to be around certain people that elicited what, you know, I what I needed out of myself. Uh, and it was honestly, for me, it was through exercise, um, fitnessing or whatever. But it was also not. It was through, like, conversations with people that had done some shit. Yeah. And uh, reading the right books and, you know, having the right conversations. Um, and honestly, like eating the right foods to make me feel a certain way. Right. So you can actually like have the energy, yeah. drive, desire to, and even clarity yeah. to do those things. Uh, yeah. And it goes away real quick. <laughs> like, yeah. I guess that's the most frustrating thing that maybe people don't understand about this like fitness thing is that it, the motivation goes away because. You lose sight of the purpose. You or you get you get mired in the frustration that's blocking you from it. So you're constantly trying to like I don't know. Maybe that's one thing that I respect about people that I don't like that 
because they're like repetitive and dogmatic and I think they're doing more harm than good. But like somebody that I might like bash like David Goggins or something is like, you got to admire that he is very focused. Yeah. Right. And he doesn't ever let off And that. That is like, that's a cool trait, you know, blow your knees out, hurt other people by doing way too much. That's fine. But at least like, maybe this is the maturity is like, what qualities from people that I dislike can I like take? Yeah, and I mean, show he, like good? he kind of he didn't fall on his sword. He found a sword and cannonballed on that thing, <laughs> and it was just like, "This is where I am. This is my flag in the ground. I can't move from this." <laughs> and I think a lot of maybe that's what you have to be careful of, yeah. Because this becomes like you become a pariah of sorts when you find your purpose. Like it can really it can really throw you off because it becomes too magnified. It becomes right. like it overwrites any other thing that anybody else might be interested in. And then you turn into Henry Kissinger. Yeah. And I think they're like, you just stop evolving, which I think means you're not learning. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. I mean, I think somebody else described, they actually defined evolution by the ability to learn like the adaptation. Yeah. That's you'd say in short adaptation, but that is a, mutative quality to learning right like it's 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 uh increasing your ability to process data from the very like basic definition yeah um yeah that's kind of interesting i don't know yeah i mean what would you imagine this kind of to go on because i think a lot of people what i'm going to hear back from this is like and this this is why i this pushes my button into go like further into it a little bit because i didn't realize that i wasn't alone what do you mean? I, I, I like um, when I was like frustrated and I like, I just thought everybody else was totally fine with how things were. Oh, right. I, I feel exactly the same way most of the time. Yeah. You know, like people are just okay just doing this thing every day and like not changing anything. And you're like, for the most part, they have to be okay with it because they're trapped. But what I will hear back from this is from coaches and athletes that go, what the fuck, man? Like, I hate my industry. I'm fucking frustrated. Like what you said makes sense. I just don't know what to do about it. And I'm like, I hear you. You know, that's what we're trying to figure out too. Is like, if you are frustrated and 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 kind of like apathetic, and you're tired, and you feel like more fatigue than motivation, understand that I think, um, well, a it's your problem to deal with, but also you're not the only one, right? And if you're not the only one, it probably means that something is wrong. Right, that that's the first tell. That's like, if this was just me, I would be crazy. If I was like, how the fuck are all these bubble butt fucking influencers more influential on fitness than like, I don't know, somebody who actually knows like an Ed Cohen or like you know, you know, a doctor who's like figured out some crazy thing like Peter Atia or something. Yeah, like how come? you know, we are that fucking stupid as a species that a guy can shake his dick and a girl can shake her tits and we're like, oh, fuck science. Or like, <laughs> we fucking lose track. <laughs> but that's, <clears throat> I think other people are looking at it too and being like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. This no, is I, I agree completely. What to do from that is interesting. Oh yeah, but what, so here's the question. Like, how do you think you could change that? Like if you were going to look, what could you personally do and I'm not saying change the other people because that's an impossibility. But what could you do realizing that this is maybe a part in why you're frustrated or feel stuck? What would alleviate that tension? <laughs> uh, 
I mean, does that maybe it's starting another gym that doesn't do that? Maybe it's maybe it's creating a pro. Maybe it's doing something it, that's along those lines. I'll need to backtrack from this statement, but the first thing that popped into my head was recognition, mm-hmm. which I think then starts from creating something that I believe is true, or I believe is right, or I believe can help people. And I think for me personally, that's taking. Every fucking thing I've learned and can remember from all of the amazing people I've been around, whether it's coaches, athletes, family members, friends, um, loved ones, whatever it is, in trying to turn that into what I want it to be that I think is useful for other people. Yeah. And now now you just have a ton of work to do. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it's absolutely true. <laughs> I think oh, that's the problem with figuring shit out. It just gives you more shit to do. It, I, it's weird that it feels like a starting place, but it also feels like starting from nothing. Uh, like it's not, yeah. but like the, yeah. the like I'm at zero mm-hmm. for the most part. So it's, it's overwhelming. This may make you feel better. It might not. <laughs> it might like, this might scare you a little bit. Um, in October, I was thinking about shutting everything down and starting over. You know what? We talked about that, yeah. and it did scare the shit out of me. Yeah, I was I was legitimately like, this is a dead end. Because I called you, remember? Yeah. And I was like, I don't like doing this anymore. And you were like, yeah. I don't either. And I, in my head, I was like, that's not what I wanted you to say to me. Yeah, I was legitimately like, fuck this. Like, I, I could like, it doesn't mean I wouldn't do what I did, but like, I could burn down the fucking building. I could sell off most of our equipment that we're not using. Uh, I could keep a small little gym for me and Aaron to still just like get our own stuff in. We could travel the world. Um, I could, she could make enough money through nutrition consulting. I could probably make enough money by like a couple gigs here and there and yeah. maybe some personal coaching. It's like I could go live in honestly, like I could literally go live in Spain tomorrow, right? And 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 it would happen by burning this place to the ground and just escaping. And when I felt like, I was like, oh man, I'd be in the sun, we'd be on the fucking beach, the Mediterranean, but like, You'd I would fucking hate it after two. I weeks. would be, yeah, I would just be like wearing swim trunks all day and fucking whatever, being tan, speedos, yeah, or bungees or whatever they call yeah, them in Australia, bungee smugglers. I, but then you're right. Like after about two weeks, I would start shaking. I'd be like, the fuck, because I know what my potential is. I at least I can like, I can recognize that I have a potential. And not and like going the opposite direction would cause nothing but depression. That's all, that that was my answer to keep going. Yeah, it's like okay, so this is frustrating right now. But the other way, if I just like, it's cool for about two weeks and then it goes away. And I think you have probably felt similar things where you're like, okay, this isn't the answer, and then you change directions and you go and you're like, okay, the ah fuck. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, even after I left V23, it was like six months. I mean, I was working. Mm -hmm. I wasn't exercising much. Um, I had just met Chelsea, so I had a new relationship. I have kids in my life now. So there was a lot lot of other stuff going on that I just have never been a part of before. So that consumed a lot of my time and energy. But I was never worried about getting back to exercising or worried about starting the thing I need to start. It just kind of felt like I needed some space and I knew it couldn't be forever because that's not who I am, Mm -hmm. but I just needed it. And it was probably one of the more beneficial six months of, I can't really call it being lazy because it's hard to be lazy when you have a three and a five year old (laughs) running around all over the place. It was just kind of like, it's actually probably the hardest you've ever worked. (laughs) Yeah. It was a new normal, like levels of exhaustion. I've, I've never really felt outside of 
you know, maybe certain circumstances, especially emotionally and mentally. Um, I don't fucking remember where I was going with that, but I do have a question about, um, the burning this place down. Mm -hmm. I honestly feel like assuming thought goes into it, which knowing you, it would, and it did the ability to be okay with like leveling this and starting over. I feel like there's power in that. Oh, and there's something about not being so attached to the creation of a thing that like it basically becomes the thing that sinks you. Um, I know there's a saying in there. I don't remember what it is, but yeah, the lesson that I, what, what, where I learned it from, um, in, it gets confused sometimes because I burn a lot of bridges and that's not the same thing. Right. Um, when I f- went on my first job, it was Man of Steel and I had no idea what I was supposed to do. Like I honestly, I was just like, I've been training people for like six months. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Hey, movie stars. Yeah, and I was like, and I was like, I, I was under the impression I was just supposed to show up and help Mark, you know, like get him coffee or whatever. Just like, demonstrate exercises because right, I could work move. out with them. Yeah, because or... I've been like training for a long time. Like I knew how to do stuff, but I knew very little. And I got there and Mark's like walking me through the building and explaining stuff. He's like, okay, here's the diet. And he handed me this sheet of like, well, I think Henry was on at the time. Maybe he's Antje. And I was looking at it and I'm like, cool. And he's like, we got to change it. It's not working. And I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of like, well, what do you want me to do about it? And <laughs> Did he you say we? Yeah, and it was just like, like what do you, what looks wrong with it? And I was literally like, oh, um, I just assumed he handed me something, and because Mark Dwight wrote it, it was correct, right? And so I started looking at it, and I go, I, I uh, the fat's too high, like that. That's like the first thing I recognized, and it was like subconscious. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm telling Mark Dwight about how to do diet. This is fucking retarded. And he goes, ah, okay, let's like shift that a little bit. And I go, whoa, 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 <laughs> I gotta like think about this. And he's like, no, no, let's just try it. Like, like we don't have time. We just have to do it. And like this, like immediate, like thrown first thrown into responsibility threw me off really bad. It threw me, it like kept me up at night. Yeah, like I, it made so that night and probably the next eight to twelve weeks, I didn't really sleep very much. I trained a lot and I stayed up reading almost yeah. every single night. It was like I got done work. We would we would train basically 12 hours. I would train with people to three to four of them. There's no shit. This is like I would do three to four training sessions. I would train with them to pace people because we had stunt crew. We had individual actors, the cast, and then we had like some production people. Yeah. And so I trained with them and I was like the hammer. Mark would be like, hey, that person needs to learn a lesson. Give them tailpipe and be their partner. Fuck. I, I, okay. So I would just like keep doing it. And then after Mark would have to get his stuff in, he's like, you want to go ride a bike? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to like pass that up. So me and Mark would ride a bike. And this was like ongoing. Yeah, for it's like a good m- thing you're a generator. Months and months. And so, uh, and then I would get done with that. And then I would go home and read until like I would pass out because I'd be so fucking exhausted. And then I'd wake up and I'd do it all over again. And this is like, pattern came because there's so much responsibility on me. So I was deeply invested in this thing. Like I, it was like, I, this needs to work. Otherwise I'm terrible. Like my whole personality, my whole ego was thrown into it because I was given responsibility and it was like time to sink or swim. I mean, at that point in your life, ego is probably the thing driving it because it needed to be hundred percent. Cause this you didn't have any other yeah. way to cope with everything going on. So you had to be like, this is it. This is me doing the fucking yeah. thing. No one know who I was. It was a new industry. It was like, uh, yeah, I would like cut my teeth on this thing. And then there was a session we were going into where I think Mark, um, 
<laughs> Mark was training Russell, and it was getting really weird between them. Like Russell did not like being told what to do, sure. and Mark is just as stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and I can't remember what it was the circumstance or, and what exactly made it play out, but something happened, and in in Mark was like, "Always keep a fuck you in your back pocket." And I was like, "Excuse me." Like and he's that. like, a fuck you in your back pocket. Always pull that thing out and be ready to fucking walk away from anything. And I was like, oh, are we going to quit? And he's like, it could be. And I was like, oh, my God. He's fucking the real deal. I was like immediately like, fuck yeah. It like freed me from yeah, yeah. any kind of conception that I had to like be somebody who I wasn't. And I got like goosebumps and was like... Now I was like hoping we quit. I was like, yeah, we're going to prove it. Because I didn't care about the, like I wasn't there for the movie. I'd never wanted to be like a movie right. trainer. I just wanted to like, I wanted to be good at what I did. And Mark spoke my language. And I like, I just wanted to make Mark proud from a very young age. So I was immediately take that. And so that crossed over. That one lesson, him saying that one line to me, just like stuck in my head in every situation. So whether I was like training a CEO of some shitty MLM company, I was like always read like they would say the wrong thing. I'm like, oh, here's this card. I kept it. It's back here. It says "fuck you." And then like I'm gonna need that back. Yeah, and I'm gonna use it again. <laughs> and so yeah, I think the same thing with this this idea. And I would never like obviously it's like a it's me and Mark, so I can't make all the decisions. But I guarantee if I told Mark tomorrow we're shutting it all down, he'd be like. Rock on. What are we going to do? He would adapt faster than I would because he's uh, he's very good at that. And he might ask some questions. Sure. Right? He'd be like, so what's – like, is this just like yeah, – Why? Yeah. <laughs> but he would probably also understand. I'd be yeah. like, it's not the thing. And he'd be like, what's the thing? And if I had a clear idea, we would go down that way. Yeah. That's a trust that you develop over a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that freedom – I think a lot of people – yeah, like it's why we can change. We can change because we have the ability to burn it all down. Yeah, and I think the important thing to add to that is that doesn't mean because at any time you're ready to do that, you're half-assing anything. No. Because you and Mark whole-ass things more than anybody I've ever met. <laughs> so like the spending two hours figuring out what font works mm -hmm. or what color the paper should be or how it should feel, I didn't realize how important that was until I wasn't around it and I was around the like, just hurry up and get something done. Like, you know, yeah. formatting's moderately irrelevant. Times New Roman is fine. Mm -hmm. Let's just get it out and make money. And it feels so fucking gross to just do it for the sake of money without, like, the idea of it being art or that you're creating something your name's going to be put on. Mm -hmm. And eventually, like, people are not that they're going to judge you based on it, but, like, they might. I would. Right, I guess, like, yeah, maybe that is it. Like, and it's not that I care how they judge me. I just want to put out my best work so they can judge me accurately. The, yeah, this isn't to say that I won't make mistakes, right? Right, but when other people make mistakes, I am going to pick up on that and like use it as fuel. Yeah, right. So, like, if somebody was to write something or publish something, and I disagreed with them, I would look for what I could do better. Right, like what? Well, how can I make myself better? I don't actually tear them apart for their mistakes. I look at like, okay, good, my spell check is on, or like, you know, and that's why when there's a typo, it's like, fuck, like that's devastating. I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody that gets more devastated than me and Mark from a typo. I don't either. 
It's alarming, but it is real. Like we, especially even for the capacity manual, the amount of times we, and I still haven't found a typo. So we're still typo free. If you found one, do send it to me because I want to like know, but also like, and maybe some language isn't as clear as it could be. Sure. Maybe maybe there's still mistakes. I'm not saying it's perfect, right? But I'm saying that the um, unforced errors are not there, right? And there's a perfect and ready to print, similar, but yeah, yeah, they're very close. Yeah, like perfection. Like there's like the. It's time to get this out, yeah. and then there's you know the other stuff where this, you're trying to get. Yeah, it. this is I, not I getting this, any better. I hate to say yeah. as good as it can be, but that's basically the idea. It's as good as it can be useful. Yeah, it's yeah. like like spending more time on it isn't going to make it any more useful, right. and that that's the line yeah. because nothing is perfect. Everything has tolerance, um, but I think that I wouldn't have had that without Mark. Like, he, yeah, he's neurotic as fuck. Like, and he's detail oriented, and he like. And he's unforgiving about it, right? There was like, I don't know, the first hundred episodes of this fucking podcast, I would say the wrong word and he'd be like, actually, and I'm like, God. but also that helps like, yeah. because it's honest and he's not doing it to humiliate me. He's doing it so I can get better. It took, I know he was never trying to humiliate me, but it took me a while to accept that. And now if I read a book and there's a word I don't know, I literally highlight it and go, fuck you, Mark. And I go right down the definition. <laughs> And I hope I remember it, but it was one of those like kind of like, oh, he just wants me to be better. Yeah. Which is a lesson I arguably missed for quite some time. And uh, like imagine. So most people, when they like think about Mark Twight, they first think about probably. Well, I don't know how it's perceived publicly, but somebody who is like scathingly honest like that, that, like to a point of a fault, like being too honest to a fault, where you're like, he'll give up opportunity in order to express his opinion accurately. Right. Right. But that quality alone means that he's trustworthy. Yeah. And that is, and that's where you go, okay, he's trustworthy. So therefore, if he's saying something to make me better, that's the, that is the engine that makes others respond better. So if I go, I need to make people better as opposed to I need to make more money or I need to do this. The energy shifts because it's built on a very different energy. Yeah, because the focus is totally different. 100% different. And th that's what I've been aspiring to foster organically. Now, I've never been a money person ever. Um, it needs to happen. I, it, it, this is the weirdest switch for me probably of all time. And Aaron actually helped me with this, which is... Um, I know you think you're doing people favors by doing it for free, but you're actually doing a disservice because you pull the value, their perception of value away from it. Oh, interesting. And this is the reason to charge for your time because right. A, that's the exchange in which we as a, as a civilization, a society, we understand value. Right. That's how we place value right. on whatever we're getting. And now the first, the first thing, and Mark understands this too, like when you see a discount, what they're saying is this isn't worth the actual price. Right. Like that, that's how you should read it. You should read like, oh, it's 20% off. Or you're like, why is it just free? Fuck you. Like, yeah. I, I love seeing like 50% off. And my first thought is like, what is your fucking upcharge on that? Exactly. Like, if you can make it 50% off and still yeah. make money, like, you've yeah. been fucking me for a long time. Yeah, you guys are fucking assholes. I mean, I, there's some stuff that you're like, okay, maybe, like, 
we have a bunch of t-shirts that like we need to sell. Maybe I like fire sell them off to get rid of the fucking inventory. Right. But so there's a purpose to the discount, but discounting your time and your knowledge and, 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 uh, your your expertise, yeah, like stuff you've worked for, like a t shirt. It's <laughs> yeah. a it's apparel, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, and it, and it, and it's like taking up space, right? Um, it's clearing out the old for the new to come in. Exactly, it's, it's a different kind of thing. Uh, and Aaron's Aaron has been really helpful in that, and just being like, no, that like actually, when you charge what you're worth, people get the value out of it, as opposed to if I do it for free, they just expect that for free from now on, right? You know, and and. If it's easy, like they just think it's easy. And so there is something to be said for about charging for this stuff. I, I had a guy I talked to recently, um, kind of, he's in the coaching world too, and was kind of walking me down some, not like pricing strategies, but almost like valuing myself correctly. And I was just like, man, like I feel like I pigeonholed myself in this like competitive exercise realm, mm -hmm. which is where people just don't have money. Like that's, that's known for yeah. the most part. Like if you want, a mid-tier to close to high-level athlete, because all the top games athletes right now have coaches, sponsors, whatever. Yeah. But to get started in that, like you're talking to a demographic that doesn't have money. Right. So it's hard to charge lots of money, or not lots of money, but it's hard to charge what you think you're worth mm -hmm. or your perceived value to a demographic that can't afford it. Yeah. Um, and he was just like, start charging what you think you're worth, and those people will find you. Because uh -huh. they're looking to pay those prices because the perception of your value of how you value yourself is, oh, this is 400 a month. This dude must know what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah. But it also means you need to know what the fuck you're talking about. And it's kind of the same thing, sadly, about audience size, right? When people see that like nonprofit only has like 20,000 followers, our perception societally is like, oh, it's kind of a joke. Like, oh, maybe it could be a joke account, you know, and, and that, that is an unfair assumption, but those are the those are the metrics that you're working with, right. and your brain is kind of like same thing. I I see like somebody posts something like a coaching thing. I'll go if it sounds good. I'll go look at it, see who that person is. If they have like twenty people, I'm like who the fuck? Like yeah, come yeah. on, man. Like how good could your vice be if like twenty people are following? Right, me? and I do that, and I only have six thousand yeah. fucking followers, so I'm not actually like except I'm not that much above. Right, it I'm really yeah. not that far from you. But even knowing that, I can't control what my subconscious perceives yeah. as authority. Yep. And so you you like when you think about these things, why why is the reason that I should have a big following? Not so that I can have authority, so that people can trust my authority on a subject or a given topic or something. And and in realizing that I have authority, I also have to be humble in recognizing that that needs to be very accurate. I have to be very good. And it's the same thing with coming onto the job. Man, I got to do a lot of fucking reading to make sure that I'm I'm like getting this thing right. God, it's also such, it's so interesting that a lot of people that have massive followings when it pertains to giving out fitness advice is generally not correct. 100%, yeah. So it's, it's like the... The values and the numbers, yep. but it also isn't. And it's the opposite of reality. <laughs> Almost every single time. I get and that's that is the frustrating thing. But what else do you do but recognize the traps and maybe trap people into good places? Like yeah. that's how I'm thinking about it now. Is like, yeah, make a video that has some hot chicks working out. Like, who gives a fuck? They're they're doing the real thing, you know? Like, take advantage of the fact that people want eye candy. 
and then when they read the underlying like philosophy and the and the and the tenets that brought this to their awareness maybe they come on a little bit more aware so you can show them the potatoes because you actually have the meat exactly yeah and, and this is like my thing that i've been arguing about uh, with like uh aesthetic stuff it's like i i've never thought that aesthetics were were uh v like vanity like they can become that just like i don't know top end sports performance can become egotistical there there's a potential trap at the development of anything because you can go too far with it but the original reason to like make yourself look better is so that you can appreciate the body that you're working in and that's like a self-replicating process like the second you appreciate kind of yourself in the world it like brings everything up well and it's kind of weird how it gets demonized that like you have abs yeah. but people decorate a house a certain way yeah. they drive a certain car for a reason they might manicure their lawn in a way that is aesthetically pleasing to them like it's all doing the same thing yeah for sure it's just harder to do to yourself so other people don't like it when you've done it and they haven't and, and that brings to the liver king's point it's like everybody was like fuck yeah that dude is fucking jacked even if he is on drugs like you're like you can see fucking i don't know he looks like a fucking turtle shell stomach. yeah he had like bowling balls for abs yeah that was appreciated until it was used in an excuse for complacency right oh i knew it now i don't have to do anything because you're not willing to inject drugs right and pay me please because you hurt my feelings by lying to me <laughs> yeah exactly. Even though i'm too fucking stupid to know that that guy's on performance enhancing drugs or whatever yeah. we're calling them these days I, and this becomes this is like the balance of all the 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 complete kind of spectrum of physicality like Yes, having abs doesn't make you somebody, obviously. Like, fuck off. It, like, and But also, being really fucking soft actually does make you somebody. Like, it, it kind of goes both ways. But then there's this other aspect to all the physicality that comes online, which is like, if I can appreciate myself in the universe, I can get way more done because I'm right. not self-deprecating. I'm self-replicating, like I'm self-making. I'm doing the opposite, not degenerating myself. I think we've been conditioned by society specifically. Like this is the easiest population to control is one that is hungry or malnutritioned, doesn't feel good, is kind of um, seeking, uh, and one that doesn't appreciate themselves. Like why is depression so rampant why don't people feel good why like we have more access to healthcare than ever before uh, i'm going to put that in quotes because i don't actually think it's healthcare but the point being we have more technology to help people live better lives than they've ever lived and they're more miserable more sick more depressed more likely to kill themselves than ever before and these things are inherently linked and if you can rise out of like i'm a big believer of like disciplined disobedience where you like move so quickly and focused against the thing that is doing you harm that is the best thing you can do and one of the one of those unfortunately is appreciating yourself yeah like a job does not appreciate you right you are filled you are filled in and over the second you don't perform or you're just another number this is like this is well known you want to take like a safe job well what did like Microsoft just laid off like 15,000 employees like every every tech company in the world just laid off tens and thousands and hundreds of thousands of employees because they're like 
well, that person doesn't matter, and our bottom line is more important. So they get right. Rid of I was saying nobody who made those decisions is most likely losing any sleep over it. Not even a fucking second. And and also the people that get it, were like, well, we'll just go work at Twitter or whatever. Like they'll just keep replicating the cycle of producing massive amounts of work that is unappreciated on a personal level. So if you can switch this and you and, and so you don't ever feel good about yourself, to be honest. Like when your work is for somebody else's purpose, you will never feel good about yeah. yourself. It might be a means to an end. I'm not saying that you can't like go work a hard job for somebody else in order to get yourself into a position that you could do what you want. But you have to keep your you have to keep your focus on your process. Like what is important what is my purpose? What is important to me? And if you can keep that juggled and like keep going, then yeah, you can work for somebody else and you can make some money and you can get health insurance. But that is not the thing that gets you there. The thing that will always get you there is is believing in yourself and knowing that you are worth something, that you're valuable. And we talked about this at the last symposium and I, it like kind of blew my mind because uh, I didn't realize it was such a big subject about how do you how do you how do you know what's valuable? To a person that doesn't think they're valuable, they cannot be trusted on what value is. And that becomes like the core to everything. It's like how valuable I think I am will be represented in the relationships that I foster. It'll be it'll be represented in the activities that I partake in because I'm not going to put myself in environments and people that don't value me because it's, uh, well, it's poison. It's toxic. Right. And, um, maybe that maybe that's Mark's greatest work is he didn't he didn't ever tell me that I was valuable. He like showed me I was valuable by having me solve problems. Right? He he put me to work. That was where I started to first feel valuable. Was like, "Oh, okay, I'm doing the thing." It wasn't like, "Good job." I think Mark has told me like, "Good job" maybe once, and it was in like 2013. Right? <laughs> Did and you it, beat him in a race or something? No, no I think I like just like, I don't know, I sent out a email or something that he didn't have time to do. And he's like, oh man, thanks for doing that. Good job. He way to stay on top of it. And I was like, I'm going to survive. I was like, <laughs> I've made it. Yeah, that lasted 10 years. I still remember to this You're day. You're like, I wonder the... when he's going to say that again. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine in your room, you have a calendar with like X's on it. Do you, do you know like... how he says it? He's like, hey, will you do this? Like he will ask for my help with something. And that is him telling me, I trust you yeah. to do good work. And you're like, oh, shit. I don't care what it is. Like, what was the other day? He's like, hey, uh, he mo I, I originally modified. We're printing the second edition of Poison. I don't know if I'm supposed to announce that or not. Bleep it out if whatever. Um, second edition of Poison is coming. We're adding more articles. Uh, we had this idea to add uh, Mark's playlist for what he wrote those to. Oh, fuck So yeah. you could listen to the song while you're like reading the article. So it's like a cool, like I wish we would have done it originally, but we're also sold out of the first edition. So we needed something to do anyway. Well, I redesigned the cover to be different. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of like a fast, like here, check this out. Um, see if this is like along the lines, but it was not finished work. Well, he like sent me a thing. Hey, will you check this out? I modified, make sure it's okay with you. And so he took my thing and I went and looked at it and I was like immediately nervous. Like, dude, I didn't send him the finished work. Like, you know, there's still probably some, some color copy problems. And sure enough, there's like some translation errors that we, that we made in, in getting the color code correct. But it, it was just like an immediate, it's so weird that like, 
it's so fulfilling to have somebody you respect ask you to do work because it shows a couple of things. It shows that you can be trusted and it shows that they think you're valuable, right? That's enough to like do good work. Yeah. That's why I spend so much time looking at fonts. I'm not going to be great at it always, right? I'm like, I'm going to mess things up. Um, I'm going to miss things. Mark fucking catches them all the time. And I have to go, oh, fuck, I let, let the big guy down. But that's that's inherently lessons. Like, it's learning. Yeah, yeah. Um, Th- those were, and I know we've talked about this in private a lot, but I mean, those are lessons that it took me, you know, about a year and a half of whatever that was to kind of learn and understand. Yeah. And I'm still trying, like, this is not, I'm not like, on a soapbox necessarily. This is kind of like me shitting out thoughts that have like become, I'm just only becoming aware of in the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, which is kind of funny because before this, I'm like, God, how unconscious, unconscious was I? You know, I was like, just, I was surviving. Yeah, yeah. Like legitimately just surviving. And, and not that I'm like, I feel unfulfilled. I should like be clear. This is not like, I've got to, <laughs> Yay! I'm like I know how the world works. No, this is like me just recognizing where my frustration stems from, and thinking that there's a actionable, there, there's there's actionable intentional uh, that you can like move towards that might push you in the right direction. Maybe in five years, I'm like, yeah, I fucking burned it all down to the ground. I took up real estate. <laughs> but it's also like kind of a freeing thought. I know you're not going to do that, but. <laughs> I talk about it all the time. Like, what the fuck else would I do if I didn't do fitness? And And you know what? Like, there's too much work to be done in this space. So I'm going to need you to stick around for a little bit because I I, I can't do this shit myself. I I mean, nobody, nobody can, but maybe. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons like I had to meet you and why the journey has been so long because it's been long for me and Mark too. There's been ins and outs. It's not all like great. He's my mentor and everything was fine from there. It was like dude's been through divorce and breakup and like we've been through, you know, relationship disasters and actual disasters and uh move like living in different countries and like not liking each other for a couple years and like, you know, badly interpreted emails that were, you know, festering a relationship that should have been different. But uh, in the end, you're like, you know why you meet certain people yeah, and you have to recognize like in a certain way, it's going to work itself out. Some of these things you can't force. And that's what I try to do with us. And, you know, it's like, I know you have a place. I don't know what it is, but it's obviously useful. Um, because I value what you do. Um, and I don't even know what that is other than you were <laughs> like, either. right. But, but you do it. Yeah, yeah. And I said this the other day when, um, it was before you came into town, Aaron was saying something about, I can't remember. She, oh, I'm excited for Keegan to come here. It's like, yeah, it's good to have people that you can just like trust. You know, it's like, you're still to this day, one of the only people that if somebody, and, and this isn't built off of like you doing what I've taught you. This is not, this isn't because I've showed you the way that I like to do things and you just replicate it really well, which is different. This is, if somebody comes into town and they were a high paying client and they needed one-on-one work and I wouldn't even second guess giving them to you. Yeah. I would go, oh, set them with Keegan. Like, like, it doesn't even matter if you specialize in that problem. This is the value. This is like, this is your inherent value is like you do good work when you're called on. So 
that you can't most other people are like oh what are they like like they teach you how to like squat weird they're gonna say weird shit or they have like bad you know bad bedside manner like right. none of that you're like approachable you're professional and you do good work that is like the rarest quality and that's kind of how i know something will come up where it's like you know we're still working on stuff like the space program is cool there's probably something bigger and i think that's what we're trying to figure out yeah um i, I I've always appreciated, sorry to interrupt. Mm -hmm. No, you're good. Because um, I've been in a lot of gyms around a lot of coaches, some of them phenomenal, some of them not so much. That part's probably irrelevant, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, like when you go to a place, they always kind of want you to do it their way. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when I was at OPEX, James was very dogmatic. Like that's why I write programming the way I write is because that's how he demanded it to mm -hmm. be written. And I barely even fucking coach there, but I was – then trained or whatever you want to call it through somebody who did work there for a long time and he used to coach me. So like all of that kind of like just happened the way it happened based on the first, you know, four or five years I was in fitness. But when I was here, we never like argued about methods or things or like <laughs> looked at some, like you looked at mine and I looked at yours and I was like, that's fucking stupid. Or you're like, why <laughs> the fuck are you doing that? I'd be like, why are why that? Like, what What were you thinking? And you'd be like, what were you? And it yeah. was always like a, an educational, thoughtful process of just trying to like, I think we know we do the same thing, but mm -hmm. we do it very differently. Mm -hmm. Or we're, yeah, that's probably a good way to put that. Well, I think, well, I, I think the thing that's recognized is that you can see purpose behind some stuff. Yeah. And you can see. Like thought in it. Yeah. And you can see inattention and what we criticize is inattention. Right. Right. You see like a warm up that says do stuff and you go <laughs> okay like you what well, but that that is how a lot of people think they just go like their brain is inattentive so that their programming is inattentive right and when i like you can see me thinking about stuff because we'll talk about it while i'm going through it i'm like i want it to be like this but i think this gets in the way like last night was a similar things like, that was on the fly like i don't i'm not i wanted to do something in this time range how do i get there how many people are here? What are, like what movements are safe for everybody? What movements do I feel like doing? And then it just becomes a kind of like, okay, I want this to work like this and this to work like this, and maybe that works. I think you do the same thing because I can look at yours and go, oh, you, you're like I can see. Kind you can of where like you're going. map it out to be yeah. like, okay, if I gave him this as a starting point, this is what he came up with based off of that. This uh, and this is a key to like the space program. Right. This is the opening paragraph to each section is that commonality among coaches, their ability to put an intention behind a session. Yeah. And I think it's pretty easy. At least it is for me. I'm assuming it is for you to see an intentionless program. Easily. Yeah. That just like sure. yeah. it might have all the right bells and whistles mm -hmm. to it. It's probably fine. Mm -hmm. It just feels soulless. Yes. Like it's like somebody read a textbook and they were like, linear periodization and go and again i'm not <laughs> saying it doesn't work it just feels soulless yeah there's not yeah there's nothing biological in there right. which means there's nothing mutative nothing adaptive nothing like nothing that's going to change on the fly to make sure that it's the right thing i think that's that, that's an interesting aspect because like it doesn't really matter what sport you're involved into actually it doesn't really matter what industry you're involved into there is like a 
human touch to the thing that you do and that's yeah. what makes it effective it's like going to like a little mom and pop restaurant in spain exactly yeah where like yeah. every bite you take you're like i think i can taste some love yeah yeah they yeah they, or you know yeah. it's like tasting a fucking peach in italy and yeah. being like what like this is a peach <laughs> they can well, taste this good we don't have these right. we have peaches but we don't have these and it was just like uh, who first described that oh it was a guy it was a chef he was asked like how he got carried away with like chefing. And he was like, I recognized at a young age on a trip to Italy um, with my parents that the ingredients are the, mo they change everything. And he's like, somebody served, like I wanted ice cream or I wanted like profiterol or something. You know, we had all these like crazy desserts. And for dessert, this Italian restaurant served a peach and ice water. Right, they just in ice water just chilled while you ate dinner, and then you took the peach out and ate it. And he's like, "I was like, oh fuck, a peach, like whatever." And then I ate the peach, and I was like, changed. Like I tasted for the first time what this is supposed to taste like, right? And why why they took such time to just serve a peach by itself as opposed to like making it into like a yeah, peach tart or something? Or yeah. yeah, it's like no, it's because. This thing has so much intention from the, from the day that they plant those seeds to the season that it takes to grow it to the time that they pick it. You're like, everything has been accounted for. That process has been cultivated so that you could have an experience. Right, where if you had it in like the cobbler, all you... All you're really eating is the 20 minutes it took to make it. Add more whatever. sugar if it doesn't taste right. right. Or, you know, yeah, add whipped cream or make it, put weird flavors in it to make it interesting. You're losing the peach. Yeah, exactly. And you're masking it in process. And this this is like training does the same thing. You're, you're masking the, you're masking the intention with garbage. Right. Because the intention doesn't exist. So you just throw fluff on top of it. You throw condiments, you throw dessert, just becomes like a... You know, it's a whipped cream covered banana split sundae with chocolate caramel syrup or like <laughs> and every bite's just sugar. Yeah, exactly. It all just tastes the same in the end. And that's that's where most people look at fitness is because it has nothing has been not much has been done in the fitness space with soul. Yeah. Uh I don't know why that is. Yeah, I don't either. I, I really like it just it's such a human thing, at least for me. And the way people do it feels the opposite of Is that, that our tagline for the space program? What's that? Fitness with soul. Yes. <laughs> and then we need somebody to make a song. <laughs> like a blues song? Yes. Jesus. <laughs> Which uh, I'm under the impression you have a band now. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> if you want to start pumping out some uh, original tracks, it's Chris, a good place to start. Chris's, Chris's last hit. It's not exactly a top 40. The shut up and let me heal you. <laughs> I feel like that would apply too. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. Where are we at? Fuck, we're two hours. I think Zoe's done. Here's Zoe. <laughs> Lambert uh, looks ready to go lay on a couch. Yeah, it's getting hot in here. Should we close it off? Okay, Nelly. Thanks for coming and uh, visiting. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, let's do it again sometime. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, thanks, man. Yeah.